Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. We are underway on a Wednesday. It's not as gray and gloomy outside, so maybe spirits are starting to lift a little bit. Monday was foggy as all hell, and then yesterday it felt like it was January again. Today's April 1st, and the wind chills in like the minus 18 range, but at least the sun's <laughs> kind of out. Uh, and uh, here's here's my one, it's, at, it's past noon anyway, but here was my like, this is my solemn pledge to myself no april fools jokes we don't need april fools doing stupid stuff in the situation that we're in right now uh but can we can we quickly for a second talk about how awful this weather is for april 1st minus 18 i went for a little walk last night and it was brisk uh i was freezing by the time i was done and then i went for a walk this morning and again you're like what is going on i thought it was april it still feels like it's january you're turning into Lou. You're just going for walks. You know, Ryan, I was walking around the Beltline today, and it came to me two things to get out of this pandemic, social isolation and good people. Is that you now? Pe- that, that's what's going on? Good people are important, right? Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's more like, what else do I have to do? That's, that's more like, yeah, you know, I, I, I've got plenty of television that I have watched and will continue to watch. I, at some point, I'm going to try this reading a book thing, but, you know, that's a little further down the line. That's when I really get desperate. I'll try this I, uh, reading a book I thing. I had one arrive in the mail yesterday. What'd you get? I ordered a book. Um, it was recommended by a Twitter pal who I've never met in real life and is about big game hunters in the African bush in the early 1900s and how the animals try to attack back at night. Anyway, couldn't be boring. That's got to be good, right? What's the uh, what's the book called? It's called Death in the Long Grass. Dun dun dun! Kind of sounds like the similar plot to the movie The Ghost in the Darkness. Did you ever watch that movie? Does it? Watched it? No. So, social Studies. It. I think Social Studies Grade Eleven. So Social Twenty. We uh, we okay. watched Ghost in the Darkness. It was kind of like um, it was during Imperial times and uh, late 1800s, mm-hmm. early 1900s when uh, the English were. Uh, it was kind of like the height of the British Empire, and they were in Africa trying to build a um, build a train, a, a rail uh, a railroad. And mm-hmm. they were getting attacked by lions at night. Um, it was the rough oh, plot good. of Ghost in the Darkness. Yeah. I think Val Kilmer yeah. was in it. That's about all I remember. Ooh, okay. I could see Val Kilmer and lions being enough to sell a movie, and never mind if the plot was good or not. So, all right, I'm in. That sounds good. Uh, you mentioned April 1st, Patty, mm-hmm. and how silly April Fools are. Uh, perhaps that is our April Fool, that we're telling you we're not going to do them. Uh, or maybe you mean it. I don't know. We'll find out by the end of the show. But I, I can tell you this is the five-year anniversary of my wife and I putting on social media and announcing on the morning show, which I was working on, that we were pregnant with twins. It was, uh, <laughs> it was received that... with a lot of skepticism. <laughs> I thought it was a joke. I actually legit thought it was a joke. And, and, and right, because we were working different shifts at the time. 
you know, we had yeah. worked together before and we knew each other pretty well, but we were working different shifts. So I saw you like three times a year and I talked to you maybe 12 times a year. And, and I remember like there were a couple of texts and I, you know, the morning show that's early. So, you know, I'm not usually up at that time. So I'm, I, I read our text line and people are talking about the twins thing. And I was like, yeah, this must be a bit the morning show is doing. And then like three weeks <laughs> later, I was, I don't know if it was Kerr or if it was Will, but somebody said, like, yeah, and, you know, Pinder's life's going to be changing as twins. I'm like, that was a joke, I thought. Like, no, no, he's actually having twins. I'm like, what? He's having twins? What are you talking about? Uh, I, I thought for, like, weeks that it was a joke and just a bit on the morning show. Turns out you're actually, uh, you actually were having twins and, and now have human beings that you are responsible for. Not one, but two of them. Finished uh, New Hope with the the wee rascals. What this they morning. think? What so they think? Got, they are jacked. They are so jacked. The, and the fighting scenes with the X wing, which of course is the Lego that we just finished on the weekend. They're like, Daddy, that's the X wing. That's Luke Skywalker. They were dialed in, and all the little details on the X wing start to make sense. You're like, they look identical. Like this is amazing that it's just Lego. They're wearing the same orange jumpsuits with the the white seatbelt strap over the shoulders, and uh, you know, I was a little nervous at time for one more than the other, but. Uh, they, uh, they, they're like, well, the good guys won. This is amazing. I said, well, hang on. There's like a million of these movies. The next one is called The Empire Strikes Back, and Darth Vader is mad. And they're like, yeah, oh, Darth Vader. Yeah. Because, so as you know, when, when Han Solo comes to save the day, he's able, mm-hmm. to, he's able to kill a couple of those TIE fighters, but uh, Darth Vader gets hit by one and spins off into the abyss and... You know, we do mm-hmm. hear from Darth Vader again, so that's that's very interesting. Hope we're not spoiler alerting anyone from that film that was released in 1977. If yeah. Do send your apologies, nine six zero nine six zero. If you if you like anybody, a an apology from Pat. Did a lot of people see that movie, or is it a pretty niche thing? I feel like um, it would be hard to find someone that hasn't, unless you just. I guess poached like a younger demographic. I think Labardius. I feel like if you're 18, it would be I believe you know. It's funny you're talking about Labardius. I don't think he's ever seen them. I, I like come on to the point where he he hates them. He's like I won't see them. I have no interest in them. I, I believe that is that's where Labardius is on the Star Wars huh. franchise. I uh, that's a weird thing that people do. Not Lubo, but just humans. Like people will say, I don't know anything about this. I don't think I'm going to like it, and I'm I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm never doing this. Like, I see people on Twitter saying, I will never watch Tiger King. And you're like, well, okay. Like, I could see you watching it and saying it's not for me, and I'm stopping, and I'll never pick right. it back up. But it's like this, this pride of ignorance. Like, I don't know what it is. I have some very faint ideas, but I will tell you. I will never watch this. And you're like, okay, there's something struck a, a deep chord in there. I don't really get that. Uh, maybe it's just me. Yeah, it was uh... – it's always that's always been a strange one too. I'm not saying you have to like it. The other thing that I is the other thing that I don't like is when okay, you have different tastes than me, and you know you on the text line different tastes than I would have, or Pinder would have, or Logan would have, and you know I'm like, I'm. I'm a big fan of the Dave Matthews band, for instance. Yesterday we were having mm-hmm. a little conversation on Wild Card Wednesday, and somebody had texted and said, I've lost so much respect for you, Pat. They do not literally have one good song. I was like, why? Why does like, how does who I listen to affect your life at all, and how would it make it so that it changes your opinion of me as a human being? I, so if, if I cured cancer and um, ran into burning buildings – 
but like the Dave Matthews band, you still would lose respect for me just because of my musical taste. I've, I've always found that one a little bit odd as well. There's, um, we have different opinions, Pat, and sometimes it's fun to state our opinions as fact, but we do have to acknowledge that it's often just opinions. Like when last year I screamed from the highest mountaintops in the Canadian Rockies that Mike Smith is no longer an NHL caliber netminder. That was my opinion. That was not a fact. That was my feel <laughs> on the situation. It didn't turn out to be entirely accurate. Although at the time, I think he would have had a tough time with a beach ball, never mind like a lacrosse ball or even a football being thrown at his net. Uh, there was holes appearing in his body and his equipment. Uh, I've never seen a six foot five, six foot six man look so small and afraid in his own net. But uh, he recovered from that. My opinion was that he was done. That was not a fact. I was stating my opinion. But at least I knew that was an opinion, right? And it certainly wasn't a boring opinion. Made for good at, least, at least if you do have strong opinions, if you've got the ability to then say, my strong opinion was incorrect. Like here's one, for instance. I uh, used to think Matthew McConaughey was a complete and utter clown. I was like, this guy is an idiot. I've got no what? time for Matthew McConaughey. I don't what know. What did he do to you? I was jealous of his, his of his abs. I don't know what what the issue was. Um, jealous that was in my what? That was in my younger That's, days. Yeah. And now I'm like, Matthew McConaughey's a stud. Like you tell you Rust Cole in in True Detective. Oh. And you go, go watch him as the main character in A Time to Kill. Like, hey, Matthew McConaughey is an absolute legend. So I, I, I have, you know, he was great in Wolf of Wall Street. And I hear he's good in Magic Mike. Like, I'm just like, you know what? I, I, uh, I no longer have that opinion about. I used to, in my earlier times, I used to think Joe Buck was, I was like, this guy's a jerk. Joe Buck's an amazing broadcaster. I love that guy. So, you know, as long as you can realize that some of your strong opinions that may not be right are wrong, uh, as long as you can admit that, I think that uh, it's an important step in your development as a human being. I uh, I think that's a, well said, sir. And you know what? We're, we're, none of us are perfect. We all have wrong opinions that we believe to be facts. But let's uh, when someone comes in the text line and says, they have literally not made one good song in the history of the Dave Matthews Band. That person believes he's right, and in his opinion, that is correct. But that's an entirely, um, you know, opinion-based feel. So, in my opinion, that band hasn't made a good single song. That would probably be that's the better, better way to, put way to phrase it. it. Um, so, are you gonna? Is, is Empire Strikes Back? Are you gonna like? There's a scene where a guy gets his hand cut off. Like, there's some pretty. There's some pretty dark stuff for, you know, three, four, five years. What's, uh, what's the feel on Empire Strikes Back? I don't know. I think we'll probably wait till the weekend. It's been a nice little activity that eats some time, A, and B, you can use as a cherry for good behavior. When, you know, on the weekend, it's like you know, we've got some limited nanny hours now, not the usual, but still like the reprieve. But uh, it's, it's all mom and dad on the weekend. So uh, that's usually a nice little carrot for good behavior. But four and a half feel like um that's a good question i don't know how we'll approach that the one just gets nervous in the fight scenes so we had the the lego x-wing nearby and he just started playing with it rather than watching the screen he'd check in every once in a while so i feel like there's some coping 
tactics in there that we could lean on. Like I Darth think. Darth Vader is a complete a hole in Empire Strikes Spooky Back. Spooky dude. There is there is nothing redeeming about him in that movie. At least in you know he was introduced in A New Hope. So you're like this guy's badass. You're like yeah okay. And then in Return of the Jedi, there's uh, the redemption arc. But in in the middle movie, Empire Strikes Back, like he is just an a hole. He he's he tries to kill <laughs> Luke. Uh, he's throwing machines at him. And uh, in, in Cloud City, he cuts his hand off. There's the big reveal you know like there's nothing redeeming about like had you come out of empire strikes back in 1980 because 1977 that had a happy ending death star gets blown to smithereens han solo redeems himself they're all hugging they get their Mm -hmm. awards at the end you know like it's a great great start empire strikes back there's like next to nothing that gives you hope in that movie and mm. they ended on a sour note, and like you probably walked out of that movie theater in 1980, watching it for the first time, saying Darth Vader is the worst villain in the, like not in a like in a good way, like that is like the most evil villain in the history of cinema because he was that big of an a hole in the middle movie. I was telling my uh, feisty one, I was like, Darth Vader is very mad. So, uh, what do you think? he's going to do in the empire strikes back. Cause he's got time to make a plan. What do you think that plan's going to be? And his eyes just widened. He's like, Oh, this is going to be intense. So we're hyping it hard. And I, my memory is like Swiss cheese. So I'm glad that the hype is, is actually matching the plot where he does go full heel turn and maybe not heel turn, but like complete a hole. Like he maxes out. He's into the red on the a hole ometer. That's, that's, oh, yeah. that's fitting nicely with the, the stories I'm telling. Uh, a couple of texts at nine, six Oh, nine, six Oh, when I first started watching Raptors, I thought Jack Armstrong was a clown, but now I just think he's a beauty, and I actually feel guilty for thinking he was a clown before. See, there's there that's is fair. A, that's that's exactly what you need to do when you realize your opinion's wrong. Um, you got to uh, you got to come back on it. This one reads: uh, Jay from Prairie Dog Brewing writes, "I've never seen Titanic. I refuse to. Everyone has seen it. I feel like I'm the only one who hasn't, and I like it that way." Jay, I got news for I'm you. I'm with you, Jay. I'm with you as well. You've never seen Titanic. No, we've talked about this before on Wildcard Wednesday. I've we never are seen of it a either. very, very small pack. Yeah. And Jay from Prairie Dog, you and I, we are just, I think we're the, the three-man wolf pack. People of our age have not seen Titanic, and it's become, we're going full Labardius on this. I will never watch that film the rest of my life. That's what uh, we're saying on this one. I'm holding strong. I don't I don't like lung, young Leo. I don't... Uh, I don't really, it just, the, the stupid soundtrack that's been blasted into our ears for, you know, the decades since, uh, I just, nothing yeah. about that made me anything but angry. Stop uh, it, don't even, please. Stop it, no! Um, no, stop it! Two other good ones on Star Wars. Um, by the way, I had, I, I did, I never wanted to watch The Notebook, um, but about four or five years ago, a girl I was seeing at the time uh, convinced me with her wares uh, that I should watch The Notebook. And I tell you what, I came out of the notebook thinking that is one of the worst pieces of trash movies I've ever seen in my life. It's horrible. It is awful. The the Rachel McAdams character is the worst human. Like, she is almost Jenny-level for how awful she is. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was not a oh, big Jenny fan of the and notebook. Forrest Gump? Jenny? Jenny and Forrest. I think I've gone on this ramp, this ramp yeah, before. Yeah, I like it. But yeah, Jenny, Jenny and Forrest Gump 
is the worst human being in cinematic history. She is awful. She treats Forrest like garbage uh, pretty much as soon as she becomes a teenager. They were not. She was nice. Uh, she was nice as as a young girl, and I know that she had a horrible childhood herself. I understand that. But she was awful to Forrest as a teenager. She was awful to Forrest in early adulthood. Um, she she then you know sleeps with Forrest. She she then abandons him like she has as many times as she has in her life. She abandons him again. She has a child with Forrest. She doesn't tell Forrest until she's dying that she has a kid. So now she's dying. She's like, oh, by the way, here's your four-year-old kid. Now you have to raise it. I hate Jenny from Forrest Gump. I think she's the worst character and the most evil character in movie history. There's my rant. Rant over. That's good. I like the rant. I got no problem with that. That's, uh, you know, Forrest is a sucker for punishment there. It's his Jenny. He loved her forever. Um, but he takes a lot of crap from her. I, I uh, Forrest, a good man, yeah. very influential in history. I, I would as well while watching that movie. He seemed well, to be in the right spot. Coined a right bunch of phrases like he he essentially yeah. wrote "Imagine" by John Lennon. Um, mm-hmm. He invented the happy face emoji. Uh, he yeah. invented the saying "Bleep happens." Um, I believe like, it yeah, was an, an was early investor in, in Apple as well, which is uh, not a food company at the time. Surprised people. No, that's right. And uh, the Bubba Gump, Bubba Gump Shrimp Co. still has uh, multiple locations around the United States, including one there at Planet go. Hollywood in Las Vegas. Uh, a couple of other texts at 960-960. This is on Star Wars. Um, I remember being scarred when Han gets tortured slash frozen as a kid. And this one, guys, you forgot Vader torturing and freezing Solo. It's true. They okay. torture him for no reason, and then they freeze him in carbonite. I feel like there might have to be a little parenting. Like, we've got this new line. My sister and her husband and my wife and I, it's like pandemic parenting. Like, we're just, things are a little different. There's the, (laughs) we've moved the goalposts a bit. Kids are staying up. My kids were almost up till 11 last night. Like, what am I doing? But they, then again, they sleep until like 9 30, 10 in the morning. So, whatever. But uh, pandemic parenting, I don't know that I can look past Empire Strikes Back. We're going to have to do some pre screening or at least, uh, maybe do some online sleuthing to see where we might need to skip forward a few scenes. Look, Luke loses his hand. That's not good. <laughs> Although he does get a, he gets a new prosthetic hand. Um, hand solo gets needles poked into him and then gets frozen in carbonite. And Darth Vader is a scary a-hole. Like there's a lot of things, uh, a lot of reasons not to watch the Empire Strikes Back as a kid. But if you are able to get it across, this is just a movie, and this isn't, then then you might be able to. I, I'm not a parent. I uh, would never give parenting advice, so I'm not going to tell you what to do. Um, I'm just trying to. I was freaked out when I watched it at six or seven years old. Like I had nightmares. Now I'm a pretty soft oh, guy. Now I was a pretty soft kid. So I don't know what the Twinders are like, but, um, yeah, it's just a cautionary tale on Empire Strikes Back. Return of the Jedi, great. There's lots of good stuff there. Um, the one has the, uh, the psyche and the, uh, the, the, the kind of uh, determinedness of a hardened criminal that's done time. And the other is like, um, I don't know, what would it be? Like a big huggy bear. Like he's based, one's a stuffed animal and the other's a hardened criminal. So I'm worried more about one's reaction than the other. I also be worried about one. Uh, one tips. Oh, that's a one piece of news right. today. 
um, from the sporting world, and just to can spend a couple of seconds on this, but I was a little surprised when we found out that Wimbledon has not been postponed, but it has been straight up canceled. Um, they're just not going to do Wimbledon in 2020. We've seen the French Open and the U.S. Open be postponed and delayed and rescheduled, but uh, Wimbledon straight up axed from the uh, tennis major schedule. I thought that was kind of interesting today and, you know, probably pretty pragmatic when you think about it, uh, just because of the situation we're in right now. It's just really starting to, to get going in the U.K., so if you're if you're England, you have no idea when this thing's going to be done, so you understand why i just wasn't necessarily expecting that news kind of danced around it a bit but as a calgarian am i the only one who's just waiting for the axe to fall on stampede 2020 i don't want to be mr negative but i feel like that's being mr realistic at this point isn't it depends who you talk to um you know the the people on the more realistic optimistic optimistic side say that by july Alberta could be out of this thing, specifically if borders are still really? closed. And, and okay. uh, so, so there's the there are those people, but then there are also, I don't want to call them pessimists, but realistics who aren't as optimistic about this thing say that, you know, probably we won't be able to completely be lifting social um, distancing guidelines by stampede. Sure. So I, I don't know if I'm, you know, I don't know if I'm totally expecting it or, or resigned to the fact it's not going to happen, but... I'd be closer to 50-50 that it happens at this point because of the situation yeah. we're in. Uh, I'm I think the other, thing, the other thing we're learning here, or at least we're starting to, I guess, maybe anticipate, is that there isn't going to be a green light. It isn't going to go from red to green. Like, okay, everyone in your homes, don't talk to anyone, don't go anywhere. And then, okay, tomorrow everyone's free and everything's open. I don't think that's how this plays out. I think we're going to see sort of these some of these social distancing measures eased. So we'll allow larger and larger groups of and gatherings mm-hmm. where they can monitor things still. And uh, but it's not going to be a zero to sixty bang bang, uh, so much as easing of restrictions that are in place and slowly, you know, streaming businesses back into, um, you know, being open, allowed to operate, fully functional, um, not all at once, but over time. Clearly based upon the types of you know business and like what kind of contact are there with other humans? How busy is the place? How much is there concern about transmission of COVID if in said workplace? I, I, I sort of think what the picture we're starting to imagine is that there's an easing off rather than a let's floor it right. on the, on Hey, next Tuesday, that's the day, Pat, the city's going to be upside down. It's going to be like a Stanley cup parade mixed in with a great cup party and uh new year's 2000. Like it's, uh, it's not going to be that is mm-hmm. kind of what I think we're starting to realize and, when you think of stampede, it, it certainly isn't small collections of small gatherings. It's, you know, a yeah. hundred thousand people on the grounds a day in one That's, day. That's uh, yeah. yeah. Per day over 10 days in a row. Um, I, I don't know. That's, I don't, there's no contest to say at first, there's no bonus marks for predicting the future. Um, I just feel like when you start looking around the world at other things and other timelines that are getting pushed around, what the city of Toronto is allowing for gatherings, I'm worried about Stampede 2020, I guess, is, is the bottom line. I can understand why. A um, couple of things before, and then one great text to end off the segment. Um, 
First of all, I have started re-watching, uh, Logan, you'll like this, I've started re-watching um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, starting right from the beginning. Um, so did Iron Man 1 uh, a couple nights ago. And you know what, Logo? I had never seen in its entirety Iron Man 2. I skipped the Hulk because it's useless. The guy who plays the Hulk doesn't even play it for the rest of the franchise. So I skipped the Incredible Hulk. But I watched Iron Man 2 in its entirety for the first time, which actually, you know, people panned that one. I, I didn't mind it. It was, it, was, uh, it was a decent follow-up to Iron Man 2. That was when the MCU was just getting its legs, uh, its, its sea legs. It was just kind of starting to figure out which way it was going. But um, I've now seen Iron Man 2 in its entirety for the first time. I'm looking forward to rewatching Thor and the first Captain America. So that's, uh, that's where I am, Loco, in rewatching the MCU. Fair. Iron Man 2, I think, was, uh, me and my buddies came to the conclusion, it was a good setup movie for what was going to be, like, the whole overarching MCU in itself. So it was, like, the best movie they've ever had, but it was important to the big story that they were trying to do. And you could probably skip Thor 2 if you wanted to really, really the Dark get World? The, <laughs> yeah. second, the yeah. second Thor movie? Yeah, yeah you ever see that one? Skippable of all. Awful. I saw... I've. Iron Man 2 is the only one I'd never seen in its entirety, and now I have. Um, I might skip The Dark World by Thor because it was such a bad movie. There's really, there's really nothing. And I'm a Thor's my guy, but like, there's really no redeeming qualities to that movie, and it doesn't really set anything up for the rest of it. It was kind of just an absolute dud. So that's a, a rare misstep. And here's the other thing, guys. I forgot that about four years ago. Um, somewhere in that range, I had broken up with a girlfriend and she kind of, you know, we ended on fairly decent terms, I guess, all things considered. And she kind of gave me a parting gift and the parting gift was a Nintendo 64 with Ooh. a bunch of games. She was going to give it to me anyway. She's like, well, I don't, it's going to remind me of you. So here it's yours. Now I, I had forgotten all about it until last night. I pulled it out of the office and tried to hook it up, but on neither TV in my place, the N64 won't work. I can't get video. So I don't know if it is the cord, because the power works, so I don't know if it's the cord that I'm using or if it's just not compatible with newer TVs. So I need to do some mm. research on how to get the N64 working, because I've got WWE No Mercy or WWF No Mercy. I've got Smash Brothers. I've got Mario Kart. I've got GoldenEye. I've got Perfect Dark. Like I've got games I want to replay play here uh but i gotta get the uh so the first step you can get for about five dollars on ebay you can get the n64 cord so i'm going to do that first see if it's the cord and then go from there because there might be some other things that could be the reason might be that the signal the n64 sends isn't compatible with newer tv so you got to get a converter so uh there are some other things that i might have to do after trying the new cord but i'm this is my uh this is my new pandemic project is getting that n64 working I don't mind that. It's uh, you gotta let me know when that's up and running, and I will. Uh, I'll trade you consoles for a week. Yeah. Sixty four is amazing. I'd love to get back into Bond and Mario Kart and see if my kids could get into that. I think it's too soon, but if I could play Mario Kart sixty four, I'm I'm all for another couple of weeks of this thing. So that is my <laughs> add two uh, more to the new project. Yep. Uh, here is the text I wanted to read just as we wrap up this segment. It's outstanding, uh, and it's a completely true story. This comes from Herman Sparwood, part of the Sparwood Mafia. Uh, he writes, 
One infamous April Fool's Day joke from back in the day from 2004 is the Flames clinched a playoff spot and before the great one, uh, the great run rather, was Joe Sports, rest in peace, Joe Sports coming on the air in the afternoon saying that Sportsnet 960 at the time, the Fan 960, is being switched to a cultural radio station immediately and that sports radio would be done. Kerr will recall it, as I've talked to him about it through the years. People were lighting up the station in anger. I was calling Bill Rashad like crazy, former producer, also part of the Sparwood Mafia. All good. It was a joke, but obviously well done, as we still remember 16 years later. Now, I had just... I started the station about a month, a month and a half after that. But essentially what happened, I didn't hear it, but essentially what happened, I've heard it retold by numerous different people, is that Joe Sports sold it so well that they were switching to cultural radio that the switchboard was lit up and Daryl Sutter called in, and at, who was at the time the GM and head coach of the Flames. Daryl Sutter called in and is like, WTF is happening. Dave Rowe was working the board and didn't believe that Daryl Sutter was actually calling in. So he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Have a good day. Hung up on Daryl Sutter. Sutter called back and like, put me the F on the air. They brought him on the air. And he's like, guys, what are you doing? And that's when Joe Sports decided to say that it was an April Fool's joke. Once they got Daryl <laughs> Sutter, they duped Daryl into thinking they were switching formats before the playoffs began. Uh, uh, so that that is a true story, and it did happen 16 years ago. That's amazing. And by the way, on the text line 960960, there's a recommendation with curbside service for an HDMI plug-in for your Nintendo 64, Pat. Ooh. Uh, that's that's a video game trader, Center Street and 12th Avenue, Northeast. I might have to do that today. I might have to do that today. Uh, I okay. ordered some craft beer yesterday. That's coming today with curbside delivery. I... Uh, we're going to survive this, Pat. It's a time sure of ingenuity are. and ideas and survival and outside-the-box thinking and maybe uh, cocktails a little earlier in the evening than normal. Far earlier in the afternoon sometimes. Uh, coming up on the program today, top of the hour, Calgary Flames defenseman Rasmus Anderson is going to join us. 3.30, Theron Fleury is going to join us. Uh, we're talking to Theo because tonight's NHL Rewind game is going back to April 14th of 1991, Game 6, Northlands Coliseum in Edmonton. Flames trailed that series three games to two. Mark Messier, egregious giveaway in the neutral zone. Theron Fleury breakaway scores on Bill Ranford, slides across the ice in one of the most iconic Calgary Flames celebrations of all time. We're going back to April 14th, 1991 for our Flames Rewind tonight. We're going to talk to Fleury about that goal, that game, the 89 Cup run, and a whole lot more. Theron Fleury joins us at 3.30. This is Pinder and Steinberg. Happy Wednesday on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back to the program. Top of the hour. Going to join, be joined by Flames defenseman Rasmus Anderson. Find out where, where he is. Is he back in Sweden? Is he still over here? Uh, what is Rasmus Anderson doing in quarantine? But more important than that, what's it like having an extremely successful father in hockey as an NHLer. Here's a guy in Peter Anderson who played in the NHL for a little bit, had a very accomplished career in Sweden, 
and then uh, turn that into a very accomplished coaching career. Rasmus Anderson joins us at the top of the hour, 3.30, so in about an hour's time, just under an hour's time from now, we'll hear from Theo Fleury to uh, talk about his time 1989 and also talk about the game you're going to hear tonight on Sportsnet 960 the fan uh, that is the Flames and the Edmonton Oilers game six of their 1991 uh, first round series uh, that series was won by the Oilers but game six Theron Fleury scored one of the most iconic overtime winners in Flames history at Northlands Coliseum in Edmonton slid across the ice and well uh, it was pretty awesome right now let's say hello to Jeff Snyder Calgary Roughnecks analyst and Elevate Lacrosse hello Snides how are you pal oh I might put on pants today I don't know I'm not sure yet. I don't think you should to be perfectly honest I don't think you should oh god how are you guys doing we're hanging in, my friend. Uh, best we can do. I think that uh, I think most of the time, anytime you ask somebody, I think it's kind of a similar response in that it's, um, hey, doing the best you can under the circumstances. That's that's what I'm doing, trying to keep as, as much normalcy in my routine as humanly possible. And, yeah, that's uh, that's how it is for me. How about you? Yeah, hanging in there, man. We're all in this together. You know, I think that's where everybody's pretty reasonable about everything that's going on here is that we're just, uh, you know, this is uh, this is going to be a new normal for a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's the same situation for uh, for everybody. I think, um, you know, there's, uh, you know, I think we got to, you know, tip our caps to all the people who are, um, you know, out there and, and put themselves uh, on the front lines of this thing. And, you know, in veterinary hospitals, uh, EMS workers, firemen, police you know everybody that's kind of out there doing this thing it's uh you know it's uh it's it's super appreciated and i think um you know that's where we're all kind of coming together on this is that we're uh we're doing everything we can to uh you know to to bring us to uh a more expedited uh finish it's funny you bring up the the frontline workers and you know i think specifically of of the people working in hospitals and, and our paramedics and uh the people that are are going to be most at risk to being exposed to to this whole thing and and you know seeing some of the figures in in italy and you know the the infection rates of of even people in in canada and the united states and you know i i've always i've always made this um analogy when it comes to the heroes who protect our country uh that that will go to war for us in the military and our canadian forces and and i've always said that those are those are people that can do something I can't. They've got the the bravery. They've got the ability to you know. And and it's not it's not like it's a regular thing. But they've they've got the ability, the bravery to sign up to put their life on their on the line to protect someone like me. And you know, I've I've never applied it before to our our healthcare workers, but I, I think we have to today. Like think about it. These are these these people have signed up doctors nurses cleaning staff any anybody who works in a hospital an emergency room who who's a paramedic uh, an ems worker a, a fireman right now uh who does ems work like th- these people sign up to put themselves in harm's way and at a much greater rate of contracting the coronavirus and and i think that we have to talk about them as as straight up heroes right now because they're putting their life on the line and and their well-being on the line for and i know it's what they sign up for 
but that that doesn't matter. They're still doing it. They've got the ability to do something I could never do. So I I, I think that's that's uh, so important to to point out is is what these human beings are doing to make sure that you know we are able to get through this thing and and we are able to be protected and and cared for during this thing. Well, that's the that's the thing. You know, you see. You see stories kind of all the time where, you know, you're, you're thanking, you know, you, you thank somebody in the military for their service and, you know, you go and do all that stuff. And I think that's why we're, you know, we're trying to push, you know, the lacrosse community just in the manner that we can to, to help be a part of the solution here rather than a part of the problem. And, you know, if you're going to take the time and thank a military per- piece, a person in the military and buy them a cup of coffee or, you know, whatever it is that you that you do, um, you know, that we've heard stories about when people are, are you know, thanking people for their time is just stay in your house. <laughs> you know, don't don't go and you want to say thanks and you want to show your appreciation for this stuff, then, you know, make sure you're doing your part to like slow this thing down so that these people are, are you know, we're, we're softening the, you know, the, the blow and, 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 you know, making sure that this is more of a, a malleable situation for the people that are on the front lines dealing with this stuff. Um, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to be the type of person that appreciates and gets out there and says thanks, then you got to be the type of person that's willing to do everything that you can to make sure that we're not, um, you know, adding to this problem. Um, and I think the yep. big for lacrosse is there's so many people, you know, I look at the, the Burnaby fire department, for instance, um, is, is it's pretty much the, our junior lacrosse team, um, out in Vancouver. Um, you know, I look at all the guys there, there's, there's the entire fire department is pretty much guys that I played junior lacrosse with. Um, you look all across the national lacrosse league and, and there's cops and firefighters and paramedics. And, you know, um, it's, uh, it's, it's something that, that these guys take a lot of pride in. And, and so it, it is in the athletic community as well. I know I try to keep it as much about sports since we're on a sports radio show, but you know, there's lots of people that are, uh, that are that are you know frontline guys that are involved in sports on one level or another and and um, you know it's it's commendable and that's what these people are trained to do and and so you know I think that's uh, something that we need to continue to do as a community and I think we're doing it I, I think we're a lot more ahead of the curve at the U.S. is very troublesome for me I think it's probably troublesome for everybody who know people there and seeing what's going on there but you know I'd like to think that Calgary just collectively is doing their part and and. Um, you know, a big thank you to all the people that are out there, uh, you know, getting, uh, you know, d- doing what they can to, to help uh, expedite this. Two questions for you that uh, I think are important. Jeff Snyder's with us from Elevate Lacrosse. First of all, from, you know, a straight-up sports standpoint, and, and this definitely applies to the people that you work with and, and are preparing for the next level of lacrosse at Elevate, um, the NCAA has granted an extra year of eligibility for spring sport athletes, knowing what is going on right now. What are the implications of that, whether it be for lacrosse or, or just uh, spring sports period in the NCAA? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, so the, there's a couple of things. One is the recruiting that, that takes place in the NCAA. A lot of that starts, you know, the, the NCAA coaches are looking to solidify um, their classes. And that, that's happening in your junior year right now in the United States, which, which is the 11th grade. So, um, you know, essentially 11th grade, 12th graders here are, are you know, being recruited from the Division One level first. Um, I think that's going to get pushed back and there is going to be some time that allows those kids that are moving into that recruiting season to, you know, to potentially be, you know, uh, to, to still get noticed. The second thing is that seniors, it really mostly impacts seniors um, at, at an NCAA level, meaning that, you know, the, the people that were going to be graduating this June in a spring mm-hmm. sport fashion had the ability to take another year. The reality is, is that there's just not a lot of, um, 
there's not a lot of full scholarships in the NCAA. So it's going to become uh, a, an economic, you know, sort of question for families. Am I going to stay and play another year? Um, you know, how do I keep my eligibility? Do I take, you have to take a full course load. So you can't take, you know, less than three classes a semester if you're going to be, um, you know, academically eligible to compete at an NCAA level. Um, and then, you know, that being said is you've got freshman classes that are committed to come in and then you've got, you've got a, a program, let's say they had a 10 person freshman class where you've got another 10 people coming in. So, you know, you have 20 freshmen. Um, so I think that there'll be a little bit of attrition based on the economic component for people that were in their senior year. They want to get going. Maybe they're not, you know, looking to go pro. Maybe they weren't, you know, looking to take another year. So I think it'll sort of naturally sort itself out, but it's really positive that the NCAA sort of blanketed that across all sports throughout the NCAA. Um, you know, the funding will remain in place through the institutions, which is possible, uh, which is positive. Um, but there'll be a spread there that some people will have to make up. And, um, you know, that'll be a question for individual families on their own. But all in all, um, you know, there are some issues, but they're good problems to solve rather than bad problems for these institutions. And, and ultimately, you know, it's very positive for the student athletes that are, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that lost their season this year. We've got some seniors um, around the NCAA, so um, we'll have to connect with those guys and maybe update you on what they're planning to do uh, once we get a little bit more clarity on, on what these timelines are like. But all in all, I think a positive thing that the NCAA did, especially you know, for all uh, individuals who are uh, you know, competing at an NCAA level. Finally, Snides, just tell us what's happening and, and what uh, Elevate Lacrosse is doing in the community right now. Well, well, we're, um, you know, obviously we're, we're shut down. Um, you know, we uh, historically during this time period, we've worked with organizations that we partnered with um, in the Calgary Hornets and Sabercats working with their, you know, working in schools and, and uh, you know, helping their coaches alongside, um, you know, running our classroom across program. So schools are obviously shut down. Um, you know, it's been great because uh, we've got a great team and um, we're just trying to challenge kids to stay active. Um, you know, we've done a um, uh, we, we've done a, a, a program called the leaderboard. So essentially, what we're doing is we're pumping out, you know, activities and and challenging the kids to get out, keep their stick in their hands, stay fit, stay active. And every week, we've got you know a challenge for people to submit um, sort of one sort of specific skill or set of skills, and then um, you know we're posting results and and you know obviously handing out uh, as much swag as we can and and prizes to kids that are uh, you know keeping their stick in their hands and and out of their parents hair <laughs> um so you know we're looking to do just more stuff and stay engaged and connected with our kids and and with the lacrosse community as a whole and it's been uh it's been really beneficial for us because it keeps our group busy and keeps our staff going which is fantastic but at the same time um you know, it's good for the kids and, and happy to see that they're out there continuing to, you know, keep their sticks in their hands. And that's what this is ultimately going to be. If you're, if you're a student athlete and you're looking to get to the next level, um, you know, this is really going to separate, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the group um, with respect to how are you training? How are you, you know, how are you managing this on your own? What's your work ethic like? And I think that's what we're trying to just motivate kids on here. And, you know, it's going to be, uh, this is a learning experience for everybody. Um, you know, athletically, you know, how are you training? How are you staying fit? How are you staying, you know, keeping your skills up um, when you're on your own? And, and then at the same time, you know, are you, you know, are you preparing to, you know, make sure that you're ready to go once we get the green light here and, and, you know, whatever that looks like, have you done everything that you can do, um, you know, to be prepared for the next level? And, and I think that's what we're trying to facilitate with a lot of these programs. So um, you can catch us on social media, catch us online. And, and um, you know, I guess before I go, thank you again so much for all the people that are out there, 
um, you know, putting uh, your health at risk to make sure that we're safe and, and, and combating this. Thanks, Knights. We'll talk next week. You got it, man. Looking forward to it. Thanks for uh, everything you do, guys. Be safe, my man. That's Jeff Snyder of Elevate Lacrosse, online, elevatelacrosse.com. He joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup or delivery available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. Pinder's got something planned coming up next for another edition of People Ask Pat. I have no idea what to expect. That's coming up next. Pinder and Steinberg Sports. That 960 the fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues on Sportsnet 960 the fan. All right, it's uh, nine minutes till three o'clock. We're gonna have some fun, uh, Logan. I don't know if you're aware, but we do have uh, a special introduction to our favorite game show that uh, we'll play sporadically. It's uh, taken over the power rankings. People ask Pat. It's a chance for our listeners and Pat's fans to reach out and ask life questions you've got questions he's got answers phone him text him tweet him he is the encyclopedia of life people ask pat all right let's go to line one caller you've got a question for pat yeah does the mask for the coronavirus work as good as the seat cover that you use in a public urinal In a public urinal or a public toilet? The toilet. Sorry, not urine. I got yeah, yeah, yeah. Toilet. Sorry there. It's good. Uh, what's good more, effe- what's more effective? Well, I mean, I will say this: uh, at the O'Hare Airport, they have this thing where uh, if you do need to use the facilities at an airport, which I try not to do because the noises that come out of airport bathrooms are just horrid. Um, like it's like I don't know. Like this would never happen in any other bathroom except in an airport bathroom. But they do do this thing where if you really are in an emergency, they they put like they they have one use. Uh, toilet covers that that make it a whole lot more comfortable where you, you don't have to worry about what's on that toilet seat so i uh i don't know a lot about the uh, coronavirus masks i do hear that they can be um pretty effective but i will say that the toilet seat covers at airports can be pretty darn effective at least from a mental standpoint so i'm going to go with the toilet seat covers it's a good question what about Thanks. Yeah, I got one more. Well, I got another one. If you're stuck inside, stuck inside with your kids, you teach them badminton or ping pong. I mean, badminton's a little tough. You got the high ceilings, but what's a better sport for them? If you can get a, if you can get a ping pong table, ping pong's a good skill to have. Like if you can get good at ping pong, you're a rock star. I don't know if you can ever be a rock star at badminton. I really don't. So I'm gonna go ping pong. That's the that's the sport of the two that I would choose. And if you're the adult, can you do the beer pong against, like, can you mix that in somehow? Where you can do beer pong and your kid's playing ping pong? Yeah. I mean, I if they, like badminton's tough to switch over. That's what maybe our caller's suggesting. It's true. That's a good point. I, although, you could probably do a version of beer pong with your kids. Just make sure that the kids have got juice and you can have alcohol in your cups. I, I think you could probably make that work. It's a good skill to have for later on when the kids grow up. It's a good call. Well, thank thank you very much. (laughs) 
I'm here for you, <laughs> random caller. <laughs> Boy, who could that be? Uh, let's I've never heard two. that voice before in my life. Yeah, it's certainly not on mornings for like eight years. Uh, line two, uh, is it Rory? Am I reading that right? Who's on line two? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's Rory here. Hey, Patty, hey, big fan of the show, bud. Big fan of the show. Hey, uh, someone's telling me, and I think it's true, is, uh, are you Mark uh, Ribland's doppelganger, man? I mean, uh, what what's the name? Say it one more time clearly. I think it's, I think it's a Mark of Riblet. I, I assume he's French because it's Canadian, and you're Canadian, though, too. Hey, uh, it could be a riblet. I'm not sure, but uh, if anybody wants to go out there and look him up on uh, on the Twitter machine, I tell you what, it's uh, you, you really, it's, I'm a big fan of the show. Uh, at night, your corn streams, they're really nice. Uh, this, this show's okay, too, I guess, but uh, I just, I want you to give kind of the, the listeners... You know, you create a you create a song on on spot with a uh, with a uh, with a with a with a topic by a fan. So I was hoping, as a big fan of yours in your late night show, if you would do a maybe a, a freestyle of a of a topic. I know it's a COVID nineteen, but I'm a big Stan Peters fan, and I love Bonnie by Mitchell. Could you do a <laughs> Could you do a freestyle of COVID COVID nineteen, Patty? I'll think about that. I might have to. Uh... I might have to get a little bit of time, but uh, Mark Rebe, Rebe on uh, on Twitter, I would go check him out. Rebele, Rebe, whatever, Rebele. Uh, there are some who say that uh, there might be a resemblance between me and him. And I would suggest that there might. I, I feel like I'm a little more jacked, but otherwise, he's a DJ. Uh, he shares some of the same enthusiasms as I do. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities there. <laughs> I knew it, Pat. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah, there it is. ID blown. Thanks for the call, uh, Rory. Appreciate that. Let's go to uh, line three. Another question for Pat on People Ask Pat. Hey, Pat. First time caller, long time listener here. Uh, hypothetically speaking, we're playing a slow pitch tournament in the summertime. How many two? How many light beers are too many before returning back to play? And let's say strike it out. Um, I would say. I would say my threshold is now. Granted, we're talking about we're talking about the big, uh, the big. Like we're talking about a pint and a half now of Michelob Ultras. Um, but I would say the cutoff is about three. Any more than three, and uh, if you're a if you're a Pat Steinberg, you're striking out for sure multiple times in slow pitch. I think I did four. Had I kept it at three, I might have been able to still make contact. Four. Not so much. So I'd say the cutoff is three is what you want for those big Michelob Ultra mugs. And, and a quick follow-up question for you, Pat. If you're a, a professional athlete in the summer, uh, what brand of beer would you suggest? I would suggest Michelob Ultra all day. You don't have to. It's guilt-free. Three carbs a can. You can have you can have four of those, and that's 12 carbs. It's, 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 uh, it'll, and you know what? We're still talking like 4.5% alcohol. Mick Ultra gets you drunk and keeps you skinny. I don't know how you can't like it. Thanks, Pat. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Those are some good questions. Pinder, you did some you did some prep on people ask Pat today. Well done. Listen, we just opened the phone lines. Whoever's there, they're free to ask questions about life. The only thing I noted was let's let's not make them too sporty. I'm gonna have to have a chat with that final caller asking about slow pitch and then athletes in the summer. Don't like that at all. But uh, hey, we're learning things. People ask Pat. Remember, hit him up on Twitter. 
Find us on the text line, 960-960. And uh, the text line, very curious about who those callers were. Uh, hey, guys, who's this person that called in who sits down at the urinal? <laughs> you know, well, the, the urinal comes. The guy who may or may not have sounded like... Uh... Like a guy that used to be on the morning show for the better part of the decade. That does sound like something that he would accidentally say, you know, like uh, lightning in a bucket <laughs> or, or sitting down at a urinal, you know, toilet, urinal toilet seats. Uh, would you want to field any more questions or are you all right? You feel like you're good for the day. <laughs> um, I think that that's probably that's probably a good uh, a good sampling of questions. Do you have any others that you have procured? Is there any uh, people you'd like to hear from prank call you on People Ask Pat next week? Uh, I am all for those calls. Those were outstanding. I didn't know what to expect. I had a pit in my stomach the entire time. Like, I'm all for that. Like, making me uncomfortable on the radio, give me that all, all day long. That was outstanding. All right, let's get out of the way. We'll get back to some serious stuff. Flames defenseman Rasmus Anderson on the other side. Pitter and Steinberg rolls on with Pat. Answering questions, asking questions, talking about sports, non-sports. Sports at 960 The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg. Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back to the show. I believe we're into day 21 of the sports apocalypse is what we're working with right That's now. Correct. It's Pat Steinberg and Ryan Pinder along with you and our first opportunity to catch up with a member of the Calgary Flames. Zach Ronaldo joined the morning show boys this morning and now an opportunity to chat with Flames defenseman Rasmus Anderson this afternoon. He joined us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Ras, how you doing? How, uh, how you holding up right now? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Um, yeah, a little bit bored, but other than that, pretty good. Where are you? Like, what's uh, what? Where where are you? Hold up. Where are you? Self isolating. I'm still in Calgary. Um, we might fly uh, home next week. So uh, yeah, for now, I'm still here. Okay. So and that's that's got to be strange because i mean you're you're holed up and family's back in in malmo so it, it's been a uh it, i would imagine it's been a pretty boring stretch for you yeah it has been um yeah we're uh me and my girlfriend just basically sitting at home and uh you know it's it, it's not that much stuff to do around here especially when uh the whole country is in quarantine like you try to you try to move around as much as you can, but um, honestly, it's um, you don't really do a whole lot. So what? Before we get into like the, what are you watching on TV and and what have you done to keep busy? What about like here you are? You're a pro athlete. You've got a you know you you might be coming back. You might be playing again. You don't know what what is Rasmus Anderson doing to stay in shape and 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 to keep the 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 fitness level up as high as you possibly can. Like what are you doing from a workout standpoint? Uh, shape. We have we have a bike here at home, so uh, we usually do uh, workouts together and. Um, Try to eat, eat eat as healthy as possible, and um, yeah, you know, uh, just uh, to be ready when the season starts again. Honestly, it's uh, it's it, it's hard. I'm not gonna lie because you're kind of stuck in the apartment, so it's um, it's it's not that easy. But uh, you know, you, you try to stay healthy and uh, you try to ride the bike as much as possible. 
staying in touch with the rest of the guys? Like, are you pretty, pretty constant contact with the the rest of the team? Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you try to you try to talk to uh, the guys, uh, talk to the suites, obviously quite a bit. I've talked to uh, I've talked to the, the older guys here and there too. So, um, and me and Manji, uh, me and Manji usually talks every day. So. Um, yeah, you know, I you stay in touch and uh, you try to see how other how your teammates are holding up and um, how everyone is doing and what they're doing. But honestly, it's like it's kind of the same answer everywhere. Gio said he did a uh, he did a he did a kind of thing with the NHL last week where he was on a video chat with a couple of other guys from other teams and he said uh lucic and ronaldo are like the the two instigators on your group chat are those the two guys that are most constant on on the group chats going on right now yeah every time every time something happens it's usually uh the two of them pros is in there quite a bit too so uh it's usually the two or three of them uh who usually get to go on and um it's been like that all year, though, so it's no surprise there. <laughs> that's that's it's just the same during quarantine. So is it who's who's quiet on the group chat? Who do you usually not hear from? Um, good question. I think uh, when like everyone gets going, I think it, we don't really have a quiet guy. It's uh, it might be um. um I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. Um, I usually don't say too much in there. I can I can get in there here and there, but not not that often as the other guys usually. But um, yeah, we have a few guys who doesn't really are that fired up in there or something like that. So uh, there's a <laughs> few guys, and uh, and there's a few guys who loves the group shot. So it goes both ways. He's Rasmus Anderson, Calgary Flames defenseman, joining us here this afternoon on Pinder and Steinberg. Rasmus, what's your contact been like with your family, and uh, have you been following the situation in Sweden closely? What can you tell us about what's happening there? Yeah, obviously, I, I talked to my mom and my dad quite a bit, and uh, the situation there, it's, it, it's getting pretty bad, honestly, and that's why we've been kind of hesitating about staying here or going home as well, so... Uh, but I think uh, what it looks like right now, uh, we're going to head home uh, probably next week and um, yeah, take it from there and be careful. Um, it's it's pretty bad in Stockholm right now, actually. So, um, yeah, you just got to be careful. Uh, fortunately, we, we live uh, we live not that close to Stockholm. So, um, but yeah, and um, honestly, it's pretty, it's, it, it's pretty quiet in Malmo right now. Uh, all my friends are home. My brother's home, and um, yeah, obviously they've, they've closed down all the restaurants, bars, and uh, the social gathering. Uh, they've limited to 50 people only, and um, stuff like that too. So, uh, but I think it all comes down to uh, honestly just how careful you are and uh, not to do anything you shouldn't do. Really, right now. Yeah, <clears throat> no question. When this, uh, you guys were getting set to play the Islanders, I believe the day that uh, morning skate was canceled and officially the NHL pressed pause on the season. At that point, did you ever imagine yourself into April still hold up without a, an end in sight? Or was this kind of 
maybe something you were expecting. What was your initial reaction when the season was paused? No, I didn't. I, uh, I think we were at Bat's house the day before, or maybe two days before, and we kind of talked about it a little bit. But, um, we, yeah, we weren't expecting it, and obviously we weren't expecting all the major leagues to shut down us this right now or press pause. It definitely came as a shock, but um, health obviously uh, goes before anything else right now. And um, with the with the amount of people who's at every major sporting event, I think it's it's obviously a good decision because it's it's a uh, it's a virus. And um, but yeah, back to your question, it's um, yeah, I did not expect uh, to be flying home next week. Yeah, crazy. This has been really weird for us. Uh, give us your go-to uh, time-killing move. Is it reading a book? Is it playing cards with your girlfriend? Is it streaming movies or TV shows? Help us out here with a pointer or two. Uh, honestly, it's it's a lot of video games. Uh, everything from FIFA to Fortnite to, yeah. And then we play, uh, me and my girlfriend play chess sometimes too. So, um, yeah, we do a little bit of everything here, but... Uh, Killing time mostly. It's the video games. Seems like everyone's talking about Tiger King. Have you have you screened that one yet or not? I've seen it. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I so it doesn't remind you. That show is crazy. It doesn't remind you of Malmo at all, Oklahoma? No, not at all. I don't think there's uh there's not a lot of tigers in Malmo. How? Does that hair remind you of Ronaldo and Lucic at all with the, the blonde on the top and the dark on the sides? Or do you think maybe that's a more 80s style hair? Reminds me a little bit of Rhino for sure. I want to go back a little back in time with you a bit. Uh, you were growing up, your dad played a bit in the NHL and we've talked at length uh, about his history playing in a lot of different countries, coaching in a lot of different countries. So you've been exposed to the sport and watched it a lot growing up around it in locker rooms. Who did you look up to? Did you have an idol or a favorite player that you wanted to emulate? Ooh, um, obviously, when he played in Switzerland, we were so young. Um, I think we moved back home when I was five. So I was still too young to like realize that he actually like, you know, was a pretty good player and he played with some good players there but um honestly like you you always look up to your dad when when he has played and um but someone he's played with um he when he was a general manager um Sergey Fedorov's brother came to Malmo and played a few games and he was really good and he was really good for that league and uh, he was an entertainer like he could have he could have he could go out there and like score two goals and have two assists and the next game he took uh took a five minute major first shift of the game so like he was he was one of those players he was only there for eight or ten games i think but um he was um he was really really good and and um he was he was a lot of fun to look at and watch uh when uh when i was younger but then obviously growing up um when you read the newspapers and stuff in Sweden, and um, my first time visiting Canada was obviously when I um, 
when I moved to Barry, I'd never been to North America before that. So when you read the newspapers in Sweden, it's you usually read, read about the Swedes, right? So you always have your Lidstroms, Carlson, the Sedins, and all those players. And um, but yeah, obviously uh, the the hockey memory I uh, like can still look back to today is the Olympics 2006 when um, when Lidstrom scored the game winner with the uh, Forsberg and Sundin uh, had apples on it. Yeah, that's uh, wow. That would have been quite a quite a time to be a fan of Swedish hockey. Never mind involved in it. What was going to Barry like? Did you have any uh, people you knew that had gone prior? Were there Swedes that had gone through Barry? How tough of a call was that to go to North America versus stay in Sweden? Well, um, my agent is Claude Lemieux. Uh, like my my I guess agent over here is Claude Lemieux. So his son Brendan played in the team and. Um, and he was in Sweden a few summers uh, prior to that, and um, and so I knew Brendan a little bit, but um, I didn't really get to play a whole lot my uh, second year playing pro. And I came into my draft year, and I I honestly, you know, like in that age, you just want to get picked as high as possible, and you want to you want to play as much as possible. So. Um, I talked to my Swedish agent, and we uh, we kind of agreed that we should give uh, the OHL a try, and um, and you know we we talked to Barry and a few other teams, but um, we knew it would be a great opportunity because um, Xfly was going to get picked first overall, and he wasn't coming back, so they were kind of looking for a right-handed defenseman and um, and all that kind of stuff, and then obviously you were you were pretty nervous when that draft started the import draft uh to get picked from a team you really didn't want to go to and uh and so there's little nerves about that stuff and then um obviously my dad did not want me to uh, go over to canada but i kind of told him that you know it's, <laughs> it's it was my career and uh i think it's the best move and he still didn't really buy it and um <laughs> So that's probably the first time we really like had an argument about hockey, and uh, and it, it, it ended up being the right decision. And um, I'm really happy with my time with Barry. I had great billets, uh, a lot of good friends I still talk to. Obviously, Mangy's one of them, and uh, it's great. I mean, Mangy still plays together six years later, and uh, you know, there's a few other players we still have contact with, and. Um, like our first year, we had a really good team. It's, uh, our our first power play unit was me, Kevin LeBanc, Manji, uh, Brendan Lemieux, and Glenn DC, and we had Blackwood in that. So I mean, we had a pretty good we had a pretty good team. So and then we had Justin Scott. He signed in Columbus after a playoff run there, and um, so we had it. We had a pretty good team, and. Uh, a lot of players who still playing in uh, the NHL or in American League. Joined by Rasmus Anderson, uh, defenseman for the Calgary Flames, here on Pinder and Steinberg Sportsnet 960, the fan. Rasmus, refresh my in, uh, my memory. Did you did you go to one or two of the Young Stars tournaments in Penticton? Uh, three maybe. 
You went to three? So you were definitely you were definitely at the one uh Kachuk's only one then. And the Yeah, that was, that was the, my second year. That was your second year? Because I it's, it's yeah. funny, you bring up Brendan Lemieux and he was the guy that, that you knew a little bit and, and was a teammate, one of the guys you knew when you first jumped over to North America, and I remember vividly being in Penticton and the first eyes on viewing in person i'd ever seen of matthew kachuk the first thing he does is go right after brendan lemieux and those guys had some some heat from their ohl days did you know that uh, at the time that kachuk and lemieux hated each other that much uh honestly i didn't but we kind of like because we know how lemieux is and he he wants to get under your skin and i remember i only played against chucky once in ohl and Jesus Christ, was he chirping and chirping and chirping. I think I was like, I, I chirped quite a bit, and this guy was like at a whole other level. So we kind of told him, we were like, don't go after Lemieux. Like, he's like he's just going to do something stupid on you. He's going to dive or something like that. And first shift, he goes after him. I go, all right, well, that didn't work out. <laughs> and then, yeah, it's uh well, then I kind of realized that Chucky was that kind of player who uh, who really wants to get under people's skin. And um, but it, it's kind of like you kind of admire a player like that, like when you have him on your team and you hate playing against him, and that's the kind of player he is. And and he kept this he kept his cool in that tournament, and and he was a really good player from ever since that first game in Penticton. How like what about now? Where's your trash talk game compared to his? <laughs> well, me and me and Chuck, you can kind of chirp each other about it here and there. What's uh, the best or the worst? And uh, if I say bad chirp, he's the first one to let me know that it's a bad chirp. And uh, <laughs> if he says something, I'll let him know too. So uh, no, we we both we both kind of obviously he's. He likes a little bit more than me, probably, and that's kind of the way he plays, and and that's why he's so good too. And I mean, uh, he's so good at getting under people's skin, and at the same time, keeping his cool. So, um, yeah, he uh, he's uh, he's really good at that, and uh, I think you can kind of see on TV that like he's good at it, but I don't think people realize that he's like actually really good at it. Well, it's it's funny because I'll take you back to uh, January 11th, I believe was the date, was that, that first crazy game between you and the Oilers. That was the, the Cassian and, and Kachuk night, and Kachuk had the great quote about staying off the tracks, and that blew up on social media. And then you joined me on the post-game show live and, and had some uh, some pretty candid comments as well about Cassian and, and Dreisaitl. And my, the guy who was holding the microphone down there came back in and said, Anderson was just smiling the entire time as he was saying that stuff. So did you did you have a pretty good idea that that stuff would blow up on social media after you said it? Honestly, that was one of those moments where you like you were so happy about the win, but at the same time you were you were kind of like angry about the way like Cassian jumped Chucky, like he pulled him up from the ice and kept punching him. So like I kind of let my emotion get up over me a little bit there, and next time you should probably not say that kind of stuff I said, but I think the emotions got the better of me in that situation. But, you know, it's 
we're rivals and they don't like us and we don't like them. So, and the Battle of Alberta, it, it's a great game and uh, it, it should be fun for the fans to uh, to watch it. And uh, I think both teams did a really good job this year of making it fun for the fans. I mean, that crazy game at home with the goalie fight and mm-hmm. all the trash talk and Gatchin uh, and Chucky and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, for me personally, I'd probably let my emotions get the better of me after the game there. But you were kind of, as I said, you were kind of pissed off in the way Cassian pulled Chucky up from the ice. Yeah. Well, and and I know from our standpoint, we are we were fired up for that final game that was supposed to take place in a couple days' time from now. And you know, if if this does come back, and uh, we're talking about more hockey this season, pretty good chance the two teams could face one another in the playoffs. And so, you know, from the outside, we're pretty fired up for that. So that's uh, something we're all crossing our fingers for just two more for you Ras before you let you go you've mentioned Andrew Mangiapane a couple of times he's actually going to join us on Friday um, but you played with him in Barrie you played with him in Stockton and now you're playing with him in Calgary he is having a great year and was really starting to come into his own before the pause here just tell us a little bit more about Andrew Mangiapane and I guess how surprised or not surprised you are that he's really starting to find it in the NHL I can tell you this. I am not surprised. First of all, he um, he's always had it, and I remember his first few games. Uh, you know, like I had, to, I had to keep reminding him of just like you know, like don't don't get nervous. Like just play your own game and go out and like being be as annoying as you always are, like on the ice, because he's one of those players. Like sure, he scores goals and. He makes really nice passes, and but his work ethic is like really, really hard, and he never gives up on a puck. And he's always in someone's face, like you know, like if there's a scrum, he, he, he's in there, and and his size has never really mattered for him. It, it, it's kind of an advantage for him, and um, and I remember people always thought that he was this super, super, super skilled guy. Like he got compared to Johnny a few times, and you know, because of their size. But I was like, man, it's like, you, you guys don't play the same way. Like, he's an annoying kind of guy who never gives up on a puck, wins a lot of pucks, and if he gets an opportunity, he'll score it. And um, so after, I guess, after his first 20 games, like, when he, like, started realized that he could actually, like, you know, when he started to realize that he can play in the league, I think, um, I think now everybody sees how good he is. And, uh, how good of a player he is, and uh, he's always been like that. Even in Barry, like he, he, he scored so many goals and points because he just wouldn't give up on the puck and got the puck back and made a nice play, or you know, someone made a nice play and he scored. And uh, that's that's how he's been, and that's how he was in Stockton, and that's how Barry and Calgary too. So yeah, once he realized that he um, he has like I guess nothing to fear or nothing to lose, and that's when he. Uh, that that that's uh, how other people see how good he is too, and uh, I've always seen it. But uh, yeah, it's it's really great for him, and um, I'm really really happy for him. Obviously, we're we're really good friends on and off the ice, and um, playing with each other for such a long time. 
We're uh, we're going to talk to him on Friday. We'll see if he says his nice things about you uh, when he joins us in Probably a couple not. of days. <laughs> but we we won't set him up. We won't we won't set him up for failure. I promise. Uh, just before we let you go, let me just a, a little bit for those who don't know uh, about Rasmus Anderson. Let me see if I've got this correct. So fluent in English. Obviously, your first language is Swedish. Used to be fluent in Italian, but not anymore. And you can also speak Danish and German. Is that, am I right on all those? No. No, it's all, obviously I speak English, Swedish. I, we lived in Italy for, our we lived in Lugano for four years, which is the Italian part of Switzerland. So when we grew up, we spoke yeah, fluent Italian, but as I said, we moved back home when we were like five or six and haven't talked it since then and uh, so we, we we've lost it along the way and and danish it's it's one of those things you it, it's super hard it's super hard to speak it but you can understand it if you're from the southern part of sweden which is like so like i can understand i can have a conversation with a with a danish guy and he would understand me and i would understand him okay but back back and lindy couldn't and Chile, they couldn't understand what they're saying right because malmo's basically a ferry ride away from denmark right yeah I, I live i literally live two minutes from the bridge right and that's and and so that's how people in malmo can understand danish and vice versa interesting that's uh i just yeah, wanted to, then, to make sure yeah yeah and then it, i i read german when i was in school but i don't do not know any german Okay, so I gave you a, a little bit more credit than, than you actually deserve, yeah. is what you're saying? I should have taken it. <laughs> too honest, Rasmus. Jeez. Yeah, too honest. Off, a... German person comes up to me. <laughs> you should have just said you can speak Russian and um, a yeah. little Czech as well, and you would have been, nobody would have known Mandarin, any better. But you know what? Sure. Still impressive that, you can, uh, that you've got the mastery of two languages and can understand another. That's uh, pretty darn it, impressive. It, it, it's for... kind of. It's kind of like Norwegian is like really similar to Swedish, so it's like it's just like a different like it's a different language, but it, it just sounds a little bit different. And you can easily have a conversation with a Norwegian guy, and vice versa with Danish. Like all my friends would say the same thing about about Denmark. Like we can understand what a Danish person said. Yeah. Well, good stuff, Ras. I appreciate you spending some time with us this afternoon. That was really cool. Uh, stay safe. Uh, hopefully you get back to Malmo uh, safely and soundly, and uh, we hope to see you back on the ice as soon as humanly possible. Thanks for doing this this afternoon. Thanks, Rasmus. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It's Rasmus Anderson of the Calgary Flames on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline. The bar may be closed to, to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pick up or delivery available. Call 403-248-3344. That's 403-248-3344. Great stuff from Rasmus Anderson uh, this afternoon. That was a lot of fun. He's a, I, I honestly think this is one of the, the, the bigger personalities on the club, but uh, also grew up around the sport, so you, you probably won't see it or you haven't seen it until more recently because, you know, young guys know their role. Their, their job's not to come out and talk to the media all the time. That's that's a veteran thing to do, but you're going to see and hear more from Rasmus as time passes just as we see and hear more from him on the ice with his ever-expanding role on this hockey club. Uh, it's too bad. He's one of the guys that I was really excited to see down the stretch in a bigger role and 
Even last year in the postseason, we saw him up with Jordano a bit on that top pair. This is a big, big cornerstone of the franchise moving forward. Thanks to Rasmus Anderson. Up next, uh, right into another money interview. Theron Fleury joins us next on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back to the program as we continue along on your Wednesday afternoon. Logo, hit me with that uh, that goal coming in because uh, this, is, uh, this is one of the things we're about to talk to our next guest about. Messier gives it away. Here's Fleury looking for his first goal of the series. Scores! Flames are in seventh heaven. They are indeed. That goes back to April 14th, 1991, Northlands Coliseum in Edmonton, Alberta. Game six of the Smythe Division semifinal between the Flames and the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Mark Messier puts a perfect pass on the tape of Theo Fleury and uh, scores, slides across the ice in one of the most iconic celebrations in Calgary Flames history. Welcome back to the program. Let's say hello to Theo Fleury on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Hello. Mr. Flurry, how are you? <laughs> how are you guys doing? We're hanging in. We're hanging in. Hopefully, you're. Uh, I you're can only this. imagine. <laughs> sports radio with no uh, with no sports. That's a that's a different world we're living in right now. Yeah, you might as well. You just might as well call yourselves talk radio. It's kind of what we've turned into. Basically, what's happened? Yeah. It's kind of accurate. Guy radio, boxers or briefs. That's what we're talking yeah. about on a Wednesday. There you go. Are you guys drinking while you're doing this or not? No, not we're trying yet. to stay professional for now. For now. We're only, we're only like two and a half weeks in, though, so who knows what, <laughs> what it'll look like come June or something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, pretty crazy time to be alive, that's for sure. No doubt, no doubt, but uh, I'm glad you're doing well and you've got your health and we'll take you down a couple of trips down memory lane this afternoon. Tell us about, okay, tell us about that goal specifically and what happened afterwards. Is uh, I don't know if anybody has um, tamed the ice quite like that following a goal at Northlands Coliseum. Uh, tell us about that moment. Tell us about that goal, and, and tell us about what was going through your head immediately afterwards. <laughs> uh, well, the interesting part was, you know, I, I, you know, I had my best season in the NHL that year, fifty-one goals, I think one hundred four points, and I hadn't scored a goal in the first five games of the series. So, and uh, you know, I was basically on the uh, Novocaine drip because I had a uh second degree uh mcl and i had a second degree separated shoulder so i was getting shot up with novocaine you know before every game and i did uh, i think it was in game one or game two craig simpson slashed me in the back of the leg and so i had a really you know i had a lot of injuries going on so i hadn't you know really had an impact on the series up until that point and uh you know, we were down three games to one in the series. We won game five, went back to Edmonton, and uh, it was a very well-played game. It was really tight, and, and uh, you know, obviously it went into overtime, and, you know, in overtime anything can happen. And, 
you know, I don't know how many times I've seen that uh, replay, but, uh, you know, quite a few. And, uh, <laughs> you know, what happened was I saw that Mess was carrying the puck up the boards, and I think it was Anderson was flying down uh, the left wing, and uh, I saw Messier pull up, and I knew he was trying to, to find Anderson going wide, and I just stepped in in uh, in front of the pass, and then, you know, all I had to do was beat Bukaboom to the net, which was pretty easy because he was big and slow, and so, you know, and then, and then, you know, back in that day, most goalies were butter or not butterfly guys; they were stand-up guys, so. Uh, you know, my shot on breakaways was always, uh, you know, the five hole. And, you know, Pierre gave me enough room to put the puck between his legs, and then it went in, and, you know, the rest is kind of history from there. And, uh, you know, I, I always I always uh, enjoyed uh, scoring goals because uh, it was part of my job. And, uh, um you know, obviously that was probably one of the biggest goals I ever scored in my whole entire career. And, uh, you know, it gave us a chance to, to head back to Calgary for game seven, which unfortunately was uh, another one of those first round, you know, disappointments for, you know, for our organization. But, uh, you know, at the time it was, uh, like I said, it was a huge goal. And uh, obviously I hadn't done I've done. I did absolutely nothing in the first five games of the series, so it was <laughs> nice to be able to contribute. So let me ask you this, because you know you you pretty good rookie season for you. You win a Stanley Cup in your rookie season, and you don't you you're not part of a a team that wins a playoff series again until you join the Avalanche ten years later in that that big deadline day deal. At at the time, like. Obviously, you, you know, like you want to stand like up in the first year. It kind of it's a pretty cool way. You probably think that you know you're going to get back there a couple of times. When did it? When did it really sink in for you that holy cow? It is hard to go deep in the NHL postseason. <laughs> well, you know, to be honest with you, I, I think we probably should have won maybe one or two more Stanley Cups. Uh, you know, early on uh, when I was in Calgary, but uh, you know there's a reason why it's the hardest trophy to win. And, uh, you know, obviously um, there has been numerous times when, you know, the president's trophy squad uh, lost in the first round of the playoffs. And so, you know, everybody gets a clear slate. You get a new start, you get a fresh start. And, uh, you know, once the, once the team that isn't favored in the series grabs momentum, you know, it's really difficult uh, to, you know, get that momentum back. And so, you know, a lot of times in those series uh, early on in, in my career, uh, you know, we allowed, you know, we allowed the underdog to grab that momentum. And, you know, and then once you, when you get to a game seven, you know, anything can happen. And, and unfortunately for us, uh, you know, I think I think I played in five game sevens, and four of them went to you know overtime, and only won one of those things. One of those series is uh, you know the tough pill to swallow. And and you know when I look back on my career, it would have been nice to you know to get past one of those and see what you know see what would have happened. You know, 
in in 93 uh la beat us went to the stanley cup finals 94 vancouver beat us went to the stanley cup finals so if we would have been able to score mm-hmm. you know in one of those overtimes maybe it would have been us that was you know in the stanley cup finals as opposed to the team that beat us it's funny we had uh former teammate joel otto on couple of days ago because uh, we were playing game 789 against Vancouver uh, where he scored the overtime winner you know I, I'd be curious as to your standpoint because you've kind of turned into a pretty solid Flames historian on top of the fact that you're one of the best to ever wear the jersey where, where does that goal rank in history for the Calgary Flames and, and being able to slay that game seven dragon in round one how how big is Joel Otto's goal in Game Seven compared to some of the other big goals we talk about in Flames history? It's got to be number one, you know, because you know, well, you can talk about that goal or the three saves that Vernie made in overtime during that series, you know, and uh, you know, I think they kind of go hand in hand. So, but I would say, you know, the if you're talking about a goal as opposed to a save, I would say it's the it's the biggest goal that's ever been scored in the history of the Calgary Flames. And you were you were the, a, a one that would rank right up there with it was Lanny's goal in Game Six against Montreal. You were on the ice for that goal, right? You were just a couple of feet away. No, I had I had the best seat in the house. I had my pom poms on the bench, and uh, I was sitting there at a bird's eye view of it going over. Uh, was shoulder so you know the thing about my goal in <clears throat> in 91 was more the celebration than anything else because mm-hmm. game seven we lost so it didn't really matter what happened in game six that i scored that goal because we lost in game seven so you know yeah yeah it's i mean it is that's it's the one thing that we keep on forgetting to mention is that the oilers did win that series in game seven i believe you guys were 20 points ahead of them in the regular season that was a that was a pretty big upset that year was it not yeah it was, it was, well, I don't know about that because, you know, those those Oilers teams, you know, when you look at, you know, those guys' stats, you know, the Andersons, the Messiers, the Huddy, the Lowe's, you know, you know they, they approach like 200 in some playoff games. So, mm-hmm. you know, for them, you know, the regular season was an opportunity to just get into the playoffs and because they had so much experience, you know, they relied on that experience you know, in the playoffs. and uh, But, you know, that 91 series, I don't think even if we would have won, you know, it wouldn't have really mattered in the big scheme of things because we, we absolutely beat the crap out of each other for seven games. And, you know, I remember, you know, the game, you know, going into the trainer's room, I would say that all 20 guys were in, were in the trainer's room after the game with some sort of ice hack on them and then, you know, on the flights back and forth uh, during the series, you know, ice was plentiful and, uh, you know, everybody had something going on. He is Theron Fleury joining us on the program this afternoon. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Theo, you would have been a real young guy on that team and Lanny McDonald was at the other end of the spectrum. We chatted with the captain of that 89 squad yesterday. Maybe just talk about the relationship you had or how important it was as a young guy and a new guy to that group to have Lanny as the captain? Well, uh, you know, obviously he was, you know, the focal point and the, uh, you know, the figurehead, 
in the dressing room at that time. And uh, but you know, when you, I think when you look you look at that whole entire team, you know, from Poplinski, Hunter, uh, you know, McCowan was on that team. We had uh, Brad McCrimmon, uh, Dougie Gilmore, Joe Newendike. You know, there there was plenty of of guys that were uh, had lots of incredible leadership qualities, and and uh, but there's no doubt that uh, that Lanny, uh, you know, brought a lot to you know to the dressing room, and you know he was somebody that we all looked up to, and. Uh, you know, it was obviously amazing to uh, be in Montreal, you know, that night that, uh, you know, that Lanny fulfilled his dream and, you know, and a whole bunch of other guys did at the same time. And it was, uh, you know, and I, and I think if you look, you know, from leadership all the way on down from Harley, you know, BJ and Doc, Normie Kwong, you know, Normie Green, all, all these people, you know, their leadership qualities and then Cliff and Al McNeil and, and, uh, Coatsy and then, you know, all the way down the line, uh, you know, there was a tremendous amount of leadership. There's a tremendous amount of class, um, dedication, you know, and, and all those things. And so, you know, to be a part of that and to learn, uh, from that group of people, you know, really kind of set me up for the rest of my career. And it was amazing to, you know, to be a part of it and to be able to, you know, hang around those guys and observe, uh, you know, not only how they were in the room, but how they acted, you know, away from the rink as well was, was really important for a young guy like myself to see. So year one in the league, you get to hoist the Stanley cup. That's gotta be incredible. And you think, Oh yeah, we're going to do this a bunch but man, the the end of your Flames tenure, you saw some of the dark years of the franchise, where people didn't even know if this market would be able to keep an NHL club. As <clears throat> salaries were skyrocketing, maybe tell us about the last couple of years and were you ready to move along in that '88, excuse me, the '98 '99 season when you got uh, sent over to the Avs? <laughs> well, um, you know, Calgary, uh, you know, Calgary's fan base was you know, always incredible, even, you know, through the good and the bad. And, uh, you know, towards the end of my stay in Calgary, like there was a lot of really great building blocks that, you know, had come on board. You know, we had guys like Aginla and Derek Morris and Todd Simpson and <clears throat> Joel Bouchard, you know, so they were, you know, they were rebuilding, um, you know, and and it, and eventually it, it got them to what was it 2004 when they made the Stanley Cup Finals and Jerome was you know was the guy and uh, you know it would have been kind of nice to stay around you know to to see that second run and be a part of that second run but uh, you know obviously um, you know salaries were escalating at the time and uh, you know I'd put in I'd put in my whatever it was, 11 years, uh, with the organization. And, you know, I had an opportunity to leave and, uh, you know, I remember sitting down with Har Harley Hodgkiss and, you know, trying to hammer out a contract. And, uh, you know, I just felt that, that it was my one opportunity, uh, you know, at the Brinks truck and, uh, um, and we couldn't, we couldn't make a deal. And, 
and then it was shortly after that I went to Colorado and uh, you know I always thank Coatsy every time I see him because it was you know he could have traded me anywhere but he traded me to a team that had a chance and an opportunity to win and uh, you know we we came up one game short of going to the Stanley Cup Finals uh, in Colorado but uh, you know my time here in Calgary. Uh, is filled with incredible memories and uh and uh you know that's why I chose to you know at the, at the end of my career was to move back to Calgary because uh you know it was such a a great place to be and uh you know put down some roots and my kids uh, uh have enjoyed Calgary very much and uh you know we we've all enjoyed Calgary very much and uh you know we'll we'll continue to to live and, and be here and uh, be part of the community. Last one for me, Theo. I, it's one of the things that Pat and I rail on all the time. Have you ever gotten a good explanation why you're not in the Hockey Hall of Fame? Because uh, we just look at the resume and what you managed to accomplish despite being told you were too small, you wouldn't make it, never mind all the off-the-ice challenges that you, you fought your way through and had to deal with. Uh, have you ever heard a good explanation why you're not uh, your your face isn't up in the Hall of Fame? I have no idea, you know. I and I I hate being asked this question because it's not up to me anymore. You know, I always say the work's been done, and uh, you know it's up to you know the people who vote uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame, and uh, you know uh, I don't know what more I can say. You know, uh, obviously. Um, I, I believe it's the greatest honor you can receive as a hockey player. And, uh, you know, I did an interview with uh, uh, your competition the other day uh, in Ottawa. And, you know, I didn't realize this, but, you know, the four greatest teams in the 90s, which were the 91 Canada Cup, the 96 World Cup of Hockey, 98 uh Olympics and the 2002 Olympics, I played on all four of those teams. And so the 23 greatest players in the game were selected for those teams. And for a decade, uh, you know, I was selected every time to be a part of Canada's greatest team entered in a best on best tournament. So to me, that, that explains it all right there that, uh, you know, if I wasn't considered to be an elite uh, NHL player, then there's no way, shape, and hell that I would have been on any of those teams at any of those times. Mm-hmm. Well, and certainly, Theo, Pinder and I have both made it uh, very uh, abundantly clear how we feel about that conversation and, and your eligibility for the Hockey Hall of Fame, and, and uh, it would uh, align with your thoughts on it as well. We're, we're both on the same page in that regard. Uh, two more before we, uh, before we let you go. We do appreciate the time. Here's one thing I've never asked you. Tell us about the one year playing in Belfast, Northern Ireland, because I ask you that because I I went there a couple of summers ago uh, and toured Ireland and my favorite spot, bar none, I did Dublin, I did Galway, I I did Kilkenny. My favorite spot was Belfast. I thought that place had such a rich history and and there's so much that goes into the history of Northern Ireland and Belfast Mm. specifically. Tell me about spending a year in the EIHL and playing for the Belfast Giants. (laughs) 
Well, it was funny because I was at a golf tournament in Calgary for the 1835 house. And I was like, like newly, newly sober. And uh, I just happened to be playing golf with a guy named uh, Jim Jaworski, who said that he had just bought in, uh, bought in the team. And as we were playing golf that day, he asked me, you know, what are you doing this winter? And I said, well, I, don't, I didn't have anything planned. And so he told me about his purchase and said, you know, would you be interested in coming over there? And I, I said, uh, yeah, I think I think I would be interested. And uh, and so, you know, packed up shop and, uh, you know, arrived in Belfast in October and, uh, you know, had absolutely the most incredible uh, time, you know, the hockey was terrible, but the life experience was, uh, well, and I'll tell you why it's terrible. It was terrible because, you know, when I showed up in Belfast, I hadn't played a game of hockey. I believe in a year, like an organized game of hockey. I don't think I'd played in a year. I was 225 pounds and the first game there, we played the Edinburgh Capitals. I had three goals, five assists, eight points. And I beat up the toughest guy in the league twice in that game. And so, you know, for a guy like that to be that out of shape and be, go in there and get eight points in one night goes to show you, you know, it wasn't the greatest hockey. Uh, but, uh, but like I said, I met some really incredible people. Uh, it's where I started to get my life back in order again. I, I, I was sober, uh, for the, for the first time, uh, during that time. And, uh, it really kind of set me up for the rest of my life and, uh, you know, uh, loved the fans, loved the people. I had some incredible teammates and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a fun experience to, to go over there and, and, uh, and uh, experience the culture and the people and uh yeah lots of really fond memories and great memories and then you know at the bonus at the end of it was you know we ended up winning the league and uh and then we lost in the semifinal of the uh of the whatever they call it the champions thing or whatever yeah uh, but uh yeah it was an amazing experience and uh you know have have many great friends still over there that uh that I chat with every once in a while. So it was a fun experience. Final thought. And that's just what, uh, you, what you do now and, and your speaking engagements and, you know, touring and, and talking about your experiences and, and helping people through other tough times in their lives. What's, what's this current world situation? <laughs> what's its impact on, on Theo Fleury right now? Well, uh, Geez, if, if I was to be honest with you, uh, it's really, you know, this whole thing has sort of triggered some some old stuff in me that uh, that I thought that I had already, uh, you know, dealt with. And so, you know, I've been dealing with that um, a lot, uh, talking to lots of people, helping lots of people as well at the same time. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's it's a really strange time in history right now. And, uh, I, I don't know how we're going to come out of this. I, I don't think the world is going to be the same, uh, mm -hmm. after this. And, uh, you know, 
it uh, it's a really kind of a strange feeling that uh, you know I <clears throat> for me personally <clears throat> excuse me uh, you know I've been in my home now for almost a month and I think I've only left maybe three or four times other than maybe to walk my dogs every day is the only time I leave the house but to actually you know go out into society and go out in public I, I haven't been doing that because uh, you know, I really believe that uh, when they say stay home, stay stay home, um, because uh, you know you don't want to get this if you don't have to. And so, um, yeah, so just been watching tons and tons and tons of movies, uh, lots of documentaries, and uh, you know, doing lots of reading, and uh, you know, trying to 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 get smarter for when this does subside because, uh, you know, uh, in the big scheme and the big grand scheme of things, this is, this is trauma. Like what is happening now is trauma. And I don't know how people are going to be, you know, coming out of this. There's going to be a lot of remnants from, from experiencing this kind of trauma. And so I assume that I will be probably busier than I, than I have before. And, uh, and so I'm preparing myself to uh, uh, to go back out on the road again once this dies down and help uh, you know help these people who've gone through some you know some t- pretty traumatic stuff here uh, you know in the last month and uh, you know it looks like June July you know before uh, anything significantly is is going to happen here so you mm-hmm. know and and I always tell people that. Uh, you know, if you need help, I'm on social media. And if you're alone and uh, need somebody to talk to, uh, you know, just reach out to me through private message and I'll get back to you almost immediately. Cause, you know, I got nothing better to do right now than, uh, you know, to help as many people as I can. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's a difficult time. It's, it's, a, it's a time of the unknown. And I think that when we don't know, uh, what's going to happen? Happen? Uh, fear uh, plays a huge part in, in uh, you know, in our daily lives, and it's and it's it's about reaching out to people and you know talking through all this stuff and uh, you know knowing that you have support and knowing that you have people there that uh, you know they care and people that uh, are willing to help. Well said, my friend. Uh, appreciate the time, Theo. Uh, stay with it. Stay strong, uh, and and hopefully you get through this this weird stretch and and come out better on the other side. We really appreciate the time this afternoon, and we'll uh, be in touch. Thanks for doing this. All right, buddy. Thanks, man. It's Darren Flurry, Calgary Flames legend, joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup or delivery is available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 403-248-3344. That game from 1991, April 14th, 1991. The big overtime winner against the Edmonton Oilers is coming your way tonight at 7 o'clock, Game 6 of the Smythe Division Final. Thanks to Theo for walking us down memory lane and spending some time with us this afternoon. Uh, once again, that game is at 7 o'clock. want to thank our good friends at Neutral Vodka Soda for sticking with us during these uh, tough times. Neutral has stuck with us. They bring you the neutral zone during Flames hockey, and uh, they, uh, hey, 
You go get those those neutrals, those nudes. You get the lime one, the vodka soda lime, uh, and uh, you know, like this is uh, this is a time when you might need a couple of refreshing neutrals. It's a whole new season with neutral vodka soda, no sugar, no preservatives, and zero grams of carbs. Welcome to the neutral zone. Thanks for sticking with us during these tough times. Wild Card Wednesdays next on Pinder and Steinberg Sportsnet 960, the Fan. Let's take a spin and find out all the things we never wanted to know about our afternoon show. It's time for Wild Card Wednesday. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, welcome back to the program. That was a fun 3 o'clock hour. Great chat with Rasmus Anderson, followed by a fun chat with Theo Fleury. Uh, if you missed either of those chats, we'll hear them coming up after 5 o'clock on the Sports Drive at 5. But it is time for a Wednesday edition, which is actually somewhat rare of Wild Card Wednesday. Only one of five mm. these days is actually on a Wednesday. Um, and Pinder's just full of surprises today. So we've got Pat Steinberg here at Shea Steinberg. we got Logan Gordon who's holding down the fort right now at our Basement Systems downtown studio. we got Pinder at Shea Pinder, and you already brought on three outstanding guests for our People Ask Pat segment, but you're not done with surprises today. No, Pat, I'm uh, I'm a box of chocolates today, and we don't know what's around the corner. Let's uh, say hello to our special guest, John Bender, today, who uh, you have to thank him for not calling in to People Ask Pat and asking a question <laughs> about the University of Nevada beating Boise State. Hi, Bender. Hey guys, how you doing? Good, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I've been you enjoying ready for this? You know the guys rules? Lots. You got this been... thing figured out or what? No, let's get it rolling. Now, you, okay. Now, do you know? Let's... Do you know what we're doing? Like, you know how to play Wild Card Wednesday? You're all good with that. I got my questions ready to go here, Pat. Oh, you've even got questions. You're not even just <laughs> answering. You're like a full-on participant. He's got his coin right in the slot. Let oh her rip. Let's go. All right. Well, here's – I'll give you the quick rundown of the rules. If you've never heard it, if you've been listening for any time, you've heard it. But um, here's here's the deal. we got uh, our Wild Card Wednesday Casino, Logan, Bender, Pinder, Steinberg, all here. we got five categories, pop culture, personal life, career, sports, and wild card. We each pull the slot machine once, and then uh, we all answer that uh, one question asked. Bender, you're the guy. you got to go first. Let's uh, Let's rock and roll. All right. Uh, For everybody, what was your, you know, call mama, tell her you made it moment in your career? Ooh, that's a good one. Wow. Um, I've got, I've got two of them that I can remember vividly. The first was while I was still at SAIT, um, and at SAIT during the, the radio and broadcast news program, uh, they do have their broadcasts on the internet and on cable radio. So the radio station that they pump out at SATE, which uh, the radio students every year rebrand, so it's named a, a certain radio station for a year's time. And so that's what the second-year students do. But the first-year students in their second semester get to take a turn on the air. And I remember I was doing uh, morning news on the SATE radio station, uh, and this was kind of like my full-on, real, on-air debut. Uh, And uh, I did top of the hour um, for four straight hours. You did news on the SATE radio station, and it, it beamed into the 
kind of rotunda area in the building that we're in. You could get it for the 12 people in the world who had cable radio, and you could get it online. And so I called up my mom the day before. I'm like, Mom, I'm going on the air tomorrow. And she listened, uh, and my dad listened to all four of those news broadcasts. So that was number one. And then the second time was when I did my first ever 2020 sports update at the Fan 960 Calgary Sports Radio. Uh, That would have been in late 2004 so like september october 2004 is what i want to say in terms of when i did my first 2020 sports update live on the air so one of those two times uh so i would have been 18 and 19 years old for those two moments bam uh i got a couple i don't actually remember calling mom but when i had gone out to college after completing university in Lethbridge and did a quick crash course in radio, I got hired out of college before I'd finished to a station called Moose FM in Fort St. John, BC, where I was going to be sports reporter, afternoon host and hockey play-by-play. So that was exciting to tell her that I was actually going to be employed. Uh, all this you know, nonsense that I'd been obsessed with my whole life was finally going to turn into a paycheck. And that also I was coming relatively closer to home, albeit like a six hour drive, northwest of edmonton but uh you know somewhere where i could get home for the holidays and things like that although i didn't i actually remember doing a remote at a furniture store on christmas day one year but uh that would be one and then the other would be when i uh i got hired by the abbotsford heat uh after four years of working in penticton in the bchl to do their play-by-play which was really exciting Uh, i recall coming back home for a game at the saddle dome between the uh oklahoma city barons and the abbotsford heat they did a battle of alberta in the dome and that was a, a neat moment i remember my my dad getting a bunch of uh, family friends and my sister and brother and some pals into a a suite that he got for the game and they had they were streaming the audio into the <laughs> to the suite of my play-by-play so that was an exciting moment yeah mine's pretty similar to pat's uh also I'll, I'll go with my first update ever on 960 which will be Four years ago this month, I think. It was April four years ago when I started here. Uh, I trained with the one and only Matty Rose. and um, So he uh, took me through how to do the updates and everything. And I texted my mom, the classic, you know, oh, listen, I'm going to do an update here. And she, I think she put it on Facebook and a bunch of my aunts and uncles tuned in or whatever. And so I had a bunch of texts from family and everything like that. It was I thought it'd be cool, and it was more embarrassing than I thought it was. But uh, I remember that day pretty vividly. Uh, Matty Rose recorded it for me and threw it in my folder. I think I still have it somewhere. Um, what a beauty. I'm not going to play it if I find it, but uh, that would probably be my, uh, the closest thing I've had to a welcome to the show moment. What about you, Bender? Oh, um, you know, probably when I was a freshman at Nevada, um, I made the travel squad, and I, I ended up still being a redshirt, but I got to travel with the team. There was a few of us that did. And I think when you're a young freshman, like, you have no idea what traveling is going to be like, what, you know, where anything was. I remember getting on a plane, going to Fresno. I hardly even knew where Fresno was. I had to look it up on a map before we left the day before. But being on a private flight, you know, empty seat in front of you, beside you, you know, on the plane with the team, and then being live on ESPN on the Friday night, the first weekend of college football season, was, you know, for me, it was, you know, like something I couldn't believe. So I remember calling my parents and them watching the game on TV and, you know, me 18, 19 years old and being really excited about that. John Bender is our special guest on Wild Card Wednesday. Uh, Pinder, you want to go next? 
Yeah, let's do it. Rock and roll. Wild card. Two days in a row with the wild card multiplier. I like it, Pender. You're on a hot streak. heater, boys. Simple question for you. You've got to be a first responder. Which of the following careers do you pick? Fireman, police officer, or operating an ambulance? Well, first of all, uh, thank you to all of our uh, first responders right now because you're crucially, vitally important Heroes, any day Pat. of the year, at any Heroes. day of the um, – but even even more so now these are the the true heroes that are helping us through this and and throw in our our hospital workers our 911 operators um our, our doctors our nurses uh, cleaning staff all anybody involved in in that side of it life and death stuff uh you guys are the the 100 percent heroes of what's going on right now um okay for me is a vanity answer. Um, I'm going fireman. Uh, a, it's the hardest. Like that's a that's a hard. Not to say it's not difficult to um, be a police officer or a paramedic because it is. But I believe just because of the limited spots available to be a Calgary firefighter right now, it is like the one with the biggest backlog and the biggest lineup. But just from a vanity reason, you know, the girls like the firefighters, and uh, you know, you've got a lot of time to work out, and um, that it's a it's a physically demanding. One. So I modeling think, for calendars. Modeling, there's, there's the calendar thing logo. Um, I think I would go. Uh, I think I would go firefighter if I if I had the choice. I don't have it in me to be any of them uh, because it takes a far braver and heroic human than I to do that. But if I did have the ability, I would be a firefighter. Let's go, Bender. What do you got? Pick one. Sure. Um, for a lot of the same reasons Pat said, I'd, I'd definitely go firefighter, um, mainly because I wouldn't have to set up speed traps at the bottom of a hill. I don't think that would be very <laughs> fun as a police officer. I don't think people see those people and say, look at this hero setting up the speed trap. I think as a firefighter. <laughs> that sounds like a personal you... beef here that Bender <laughs> has. Bottom of the hill. I think, uh, you know, as a firefighter, I think you're kind of always seen as a hero, no matter what your task is during the day. And uh, so I think, yeah, I, I, would, I would definitely lean firefighter. Uh, I would go with uh, police officer. I have a few family members in uh, other provinces who are uh, police officers. So uh, I, I'll give a shout out to them. I know uh, just how difficult it is. I have a, a female cousin in Saskatchewan who is a uh, police officer there. And uh, I can honestly tell you that she's probably the most badass chick that I know. Um, there's been more than a few times where the family has uh, suggested that I, uh, try messing around with my cousin Shannon. And I can honestly say that she can kick my ass really easily. Uh, she's just honestly one of the hardest working people I know. And she's just one of the good ones out there. And, uh, I think that perhaps my, uh, as Bender would know, my size and intimidation might help me in such a role. Uh, so I'll probably go with uh, a police officer. Pender? I'll round out nicely, boys. I'll take uh, one of the paramedics in the ambulance, saving lives, crazy different day every time you go to work, feeling like you make a difference and uh, not so much sitting around. I know uh, that can happen with the firemen. Uh, you, you don't have sort of that uh, polarizing rep that police can sometimes have, fair or not. Uh, but uh, I'll, I'll take the, the paramedic in the ambulance. Um, I know Kelly Kirsch used to be a paramedic, just as a, uh, that which, which always baffles me. Uh, Kelly Kirsch used to be a paramedic. <laughs> uh, I'll go next if you're all right with that, Pat. All right, I'll go last. Uh, absolutely. Pop 
culture. Oh, okay, boys. You need to give me the most realistic actor who would play you in a movie. <sighs> and I'm not talking Ooh. like you, Hinder. You're not, not giving me point. Brad Pitt and Steinberger. Maybe you can give me McLovin, but like, like, I want an accurate representation of who would actually play you in a movie. So we have done this before. And oh. I believe, uh, now that's no knock on you, Logan, because you, you've not been here the whole time, and it certainly is worth repeating. Absolutely. Uh, but I, I have to be the guy from Boy Meets World, Ben Savage, yeah. or whoever 100%. Screech. One of the two. So that's, uh, it depends. That's it depends. It. Are we going on your yearbook photo that you, you or your ID that you tweet out every once in a while? Because that one is straight up that's Dustin Screech, Diamond yeah. Screech. Uh, or now it's more like... Now, you and, because I think you and Ben Savage are about the same age. You might be a little older, but you guys are straight up doppelgangers. It's not close. He is born uh, 380 days before me. So, yeah, almost the exact same age. He's a year older. Bender? I don't know. You know, I mean, I'm bigger than 99% of the actors out there. So, I guess if you had to pick one, I'd have to go better to my sports background and. Um, maybe Paul White, the big show. That's a good one. I can see yeah. that. I can absolutely get behind that. Yeah, that's about the only one I can think of. That's Logo, amazing. what about you? Steinberg, you got to go first, Steinberg. Well, I'm still trying to think of one okay. that isn't that isn't just uh, McLovin. That's McLovin. what I, I'm really trying to, to actually good, get Don't one that's on. a little bit more than – well, also because the guy who plays McLovin now, his hair is all ridiculous, and like, I don't lo- – like – and yeah, we both wear glasses, and we're both kind of nerdy. But his his hair is stupid these days. But uh, I might I might fall back on that one. I'm trying to see if I can find Google. another one. What's that? What's his name? I gotta Google and see. Uh, Christopher Mintz Plass. Okay, good. Go ahead, Logo. So Logo, you go. Uh, minus the glasses, uh, I'm pretty sure Josh Gad would make a, a pretty good Logan Gordon in any uh, biopic. Uh, Kind of the uh, screechy, awkward uh, big guy that uh, has his moments. And uh, plus, I like Olaf, so uh, I'm going to go with Josh Gad. You know who's one that I, I absolutely see in you? You've got a lot of Luke Combs in you. Like, I, whenever right. I see yeah, you, the I'm beard. Like, yeah. Luke, if you if you busted out a beard, but I mean Combs isn't always uh, he he's sometimes freshly shorn. So I'm always like, yeah, you know what? There's Luke Combs and Logan. I'm I, yeah. I'm, I'm down with that. That guy's I take that. That's not bad. Right now, yeah. Um, the only other one other than Christopher Mintz Plast that I can come up with, guys, who's really good. Pat. Sorry, like that's as close as anyone's gonna get. But sure, try another. The the only other one is Jeff Goldblum. Uh, that's the only because the the glasses, the kind of dorkiness. Uh, I I think that he's probably better looking, but um, definitely better looking. But I I do think <laughs> Jeff Goldblum. There's there's a little bit there that I can see, kind of the the nerdy and you know there's the you know there's a little bit of Steinberg and Goldblum. I'm I'm half Jewish. So there's a little bit of that that look. So I that, that's that's the only other one that I can that I can. It's not like who's. It's not like I'm saying. Yeah, Ryan Gosling or Ryan Reynolds. Uh, you know, like I, I think that Jeff Goldblum could probably uh, pull off Steinberg if if uh, he ever wanted to stoop that low. He gets to pay, he plays the, the the last couple chapters. Once you start getting the salt and pepper in the beard, and you start greasing the hair a little bit, like he's got the second. You get 
Christopher, what's his name, Plas at the beginning, and this guy plays when you're older. That's how the movie goes. Somebody sure. threw out on the text line Adrian Brody. Don't know that that's going to work. Let me check here. I don't know if I'm as – like Adrian Brody's got that kind of gaunt face, and he's also looked at to be somewhat attractive. I don't know if I – He's got the longer hair that doesn't that. really do it for me for as far as a Steinberg wannabe. No. Shame though, good hair. It is good hair. I think Paul White for Bender is a good one. I love Luke Combs for Logan. Ben Savage and Pinder, and I guess I'll take the L and, and go with McLovin. Uh, okay, well that means it's uh, it's my turn. I've got the last pull on Wild Card Wednesday. Let's rock and roll. Sports. Uh, okay, here's a good one. Uh, Bender, you got to go first. Was that? So just getting harder and harder this category right here. I know, but this this is uh, sports-ish. Bender, you already mentioned Paul White, the big show, as your celebrity doppelganger. Guys, who is the first pro wrestler that you were like, this is my guy, I am dialed in on this this guy? Who is your first favorite pro wrestler? Bender, you got to go first. Uh, absolutely. Growing up, you know, near Calgary, around, you know, a small town Alberta kid, it's got to be Bret Hart. I mean, I was 10 years old in 1997, which was kind of a probably Bret Hart's heyday. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up a huge Bret Hart fan, so, you know, I was dialed in on Bret Hart definitely growing up as a kid. And I'm I mean, I met, him at a I met him at a Fan 960 event a couple of years ago. I didn't go full Peter Klein and not approach him and say hi, but... I mean, it was definitely a moment that, that I'll remember for a long time. You kept I didn't cool, have, like, right? a guy. I loved Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Patty, but I, the Bushwhackers are the first one where I was like, are these guys wrestling? When are they wrestling? Are they on? Like, it was that was the, the first, I guess, wrestlers that I was obsessed with in the sense that it, you couldn't peel my eyes away if they were wrestling. They were just maniacs. I thought it was hilarious. Um, my brother used to show me old videos of my first wrestling stuff I used to watch was like old ECW stuff, uh, which I thought was Ooh. just wild. Uh, I loved Rob Van Dam. Uh, he was just, he was always doing yeah. these crazy jumps and flips and everything. And he'd always have the crowd going and do the Rob Van Dam thing on top of the ropes. And I mean, they were nuts. They were doing stuff with barbed wire and tacks and all this sort of stuff. I was like, this is insane. Uh, he was kind of the first wrestler that I, uh, Everyone was like, this dude's awesome. That was uh, Rob Van Dam for me. Rob Van Dam is a hell of a choice, Logo. I'm all over that. That guy was an absolute legend in ECW. He did the thing with the chair. He did the drop kick from turnbuckle to turnbuckle. Uh, there's the Rob Van Daminator and the uh, – he had the I don't remember what the other one was called. It was something Rob Van something Aider. I just don't remember what it was called. The Van Terminator, I believe, was uh, his other big move. I was – did the Rob Van Dam when he's pointing at himself. Yeah. Um, five-star frog splash, Van Terminator, Van Daminator, uh, and the chair surf. Uh, dude was an absolute legend i am all over that one um i like that a lot but for me uh i've got two legion of doom were the first guys that i'm like these guys are awesome they wore the face paint they had like the shoulder pads with spikes they were a tag team they were terrifying like i was and so as a young guy i was a big legion of doom fan but i didn't really uh, i didn't really know what was happening what really turned me into wrestling and and when i really became a hardcore wrestling nerd 
uh, I was huge into Triple H. And so when, when Triple H and Shawn Michaels formed DX, that was right around the time when I was first starting to watch wrestling seriously. And I was dialed in on Hunter Hearst Helmsley and him and Shawn Michaels doing DX. And so so Triple H was my guy. And so when he turned heel uh, for the first time, it was devastating. I was so crushed when he turned his back on DX and gave the pedigree to X-Pac. And, uh, yeah, Triple H's heel turn really hit me hard, guys. And it's it's still something that I have a tough time dealing with. He would go on to become one of the greatest heels in wrestling history. And now looking back, I appreciate all that he did. But, yeah, Triple H was the first guy um, that, that really got me into the uh, – that really got me into wrestling. Good answer. Good, uh, that's good work, gentlemen. That's good work. Bender, uh, nice job. Thanks for coming on today. All right. Thank you for having me. That's Rob, that's, uh, that's John Bender, who was our special guest on Wild Card Wednesday. And how about this for a segue? Watch what I'm going to do talking about wrestling coming out of Wild Card Wednesday as we wrap it up. This has been Wild Card Wednesday on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Speaking of the WWE, coming up next, we have got the number one contender to the WWE Championship. He will fight for it this weekend at WrestleMania 36. Drew McIntyre is going to join us around the corner. Looking forward to hearing that conversation coming up next. Great job on Wild Card Wednesday. We'll do it again tomorrow on a Thursday. I uh, wanted to say thank you to our friends at Alpine Credits for sticking with us during this tough time as uh, they will uh, be a part of our broadcast tonight of the Flames and Oilers Game 6 from 1991. Own your home, uh, own your home rather, Alpine Credit can get your loan approved. Alpine Credits, homeowners get approved. Visit alpinecredits.ca. Thank you so much for sticking with us during these uh, rather uncertain times. Drew McIntyre joins us next. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. How about this? On Saturday and Sunday, this weekend, WrestleMania 36, including a WWE championship match between Brock Lesnar, the champ, and our next guest, Drew McIntyre, who will fight for the WWE title for the first time, spoke with the gents at Sportsnet 650 in Toronto this morning. James Sabalski and Perry Selkowski sat down with Drew McIntyre, the number one contender to the WWE Championship. What sort of preparation do you do you change up when you are gearing up to fight Brock Lesnar? Because I can't imagine there is anything light about movements in the ring with a guy like the former UFC heavyweight champion. No, there's not. Um, also, during these times, there isn't any gym available to train in. So I yeah. finally I convinced my wife to let me build my home gym in my garage, which is fantastic. So it somewhat became a rocky style training i guess you know i've got my equipment in the garage the garage is a million degrees i'm out running again on the concrete which i haven't done for many many years and basically the preparation is rocky balboa versus ivan drago <laughs> but that's got to <laughs> understand fun, though, that because i would imagine drew that's kind of old school how it all starts this this love affair to get yourself in shape isn't it 
Yeah, I mean, this is how I used to train when I was, before I got signed to WWE, I was 21 years old when I got signed. I used to train in an old weightlifter's gym that I had a key for. I'd go at midnight by myself. It was so cold. And I'd be in there, like, training, preparing, you know, to get signed by WWE. The first Scotsman one day was my dream, and I achieved that. I was there for eight years, got fired. Worked really, really hard outside the company and built myself up from the ground all the way to the main event of WrestleMania and kind of go full circle back to kind of training with the equipment in the garage. This time, instead of being so cold, it is so hot because I live in Florida. But it is the same kind of, you know, iron will I had when I was a kid training to get signed by WWE. Now it's iron will as an adult training to get ready for WrestleMania and Brock Lesnar. Well, Drew McIntyre here from the WWE on Sportsnet 650. Uh, tell me this, though. Like, here you are. Like, you get signed at 21. You're 34 now. Like, you've waited a long time to get to this moment. Here you go. You're main eventing WrestleMania, and you got to do it in an empty building. I, I mean, it, what's that dynamic like here? Yeah, I mean, I'd be lying if I said initially when I found out I wasn't very disappointed and uh, angry because I was oh my god I've worked so hard all these years my yeah. big moment finally comes I can't believe I won the Royal Rumble I can't believe the fans rallied behind me I can't believe all the pieces finally fell into place for Drew McIntyre going to WrestleMania and now he's going to be the performance center that was my initial reaction and then eventually after that I kind of sat thought about it spoke with my wife about it and realized wait a minute you know that's kind of the selfish way to look at it look what's going on in the world right now um, you know, everybody's you know, suffering and they're indoors and they're unsure and they're worried. And we have an opportunity to provide entertainment. WWE is pushing forward to provide original content. And I was like, right, I'm so proud of the company for one. And two, we're not just providing a TV show every week. We're going to give them WrestleMania. So I'll be damned if I'm not going to work as hard as I can, look at the positives and give everything, no matter if there's nobody in the building or 80,000 people in the building to make sure everybody at home I've got something to look forward to. They're entertained when they turn on WWE and they turn on WrestleMania. And hopefully, I can give them a happy ending and become WWE champion. And it might not be the moment I pictured as a kid, but it'll be a very special moment for everybody watching around the world, hopefully. For me personally, and no one's ever going to forget the WrestleMania when the world stood still. Uh, Drew, and more so, I think, as you talk about going back in time and training in your garage, physically making sure you are ready. But I would imagine, because I don't know of any kind of performers that draw off a crowd more than wrestlers, because if you're backstage, you know, as soon as that curtain floats, you've got thousands of people there. Is this going to be more of a mental challenge for you? And it sounds like you've just put yourself in that place. Will this be uh, mentally more challenged than it has been physically? Yeah, I mean, I'd be lying if I said no, but I'm feeling very confident um, about everything. Like, WWE is very crowd-based. Uh, the fans are our number one superstar. They create the atmosphere. We feed off of that. And that's what's going to make this WrestleMania so unique, and it's kind of challenged WWE as a company that we're presenting multiple matches and are in multiple different closed sets and with unique kind of stipulations, unique environments. I've described it as WWE presents Mortal Kombat, it's going to be so wild and so different and all over the place. It's going to be exciting for the viewers at home. And then when it comes to the main event for the title, Drew McIntyre brought Lesnar. We're so big. We're so physical. Usually when the crowd's there, you can't hear the strikes. You can see it's intense. You can see it's brutal. You can't quite feel it because there's so many fans being so loud. You're going to feel every strike. You're going to feel everything going on. It's essentially 
a bar fight, a pub fight. The Drew McIntyre brought Lesnar with a ring in a bar and like just a few kind of key staff on site to witness this fight live. But the camera is going to capture, capture it all and everyone at home is going to feel every physical thing that happens in there and hopefully feel every emotional thing because it is such a unique story and it's being told for myself. You're, you're told, every, we're all being told to stay home, self-isolate, self-quarantine. You know, the, the CDC is telling, you know, no groups, more than 50 people. You guys have been operating for the last few weeks with essential personnel when you're taping the shows and all that. What is that like? What is that like for people wondering, you know, what does that look like for you when you get to the venue then for, you know, as, as you guys have been doing these tapings? Like, what does that look like when you get to the building? Like, are, is it just you by yourself? Like, how many people are in there beyond just the television production crew? and everybody yeah I mean that's very weird like knowing that it's a television taping and knowing it's a Wrestlemania taping and you know you come to the building um, you know the doctors are there and um, you're you know put through a thorough examination to make sure everything's okay and then you get in and realize that there's really nobody here a lot of people are on call or conference um, and I had the whole locker room to myself which was very weird I was just sitting there looking around and went well this is weird and <laughs> uh, the first time I was there, which never happens, like I felt like Lesnar or something. I was like, "Ooh, my own special locker room," but it's because of the, <laughs> because of the circumstance. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we were following everything to the letter when it comes to the CDC and the guidelines and making sure, um, you know, everybody's safe and at the same time making sure we provide a quality show for everybody watching. Well, you know, we have a lot of people that are guests on this show. They're athletes, so we have the Olympians on. We've got sports organization leaders. But at the end, we're all the same, and we're all in this together. You are from Scotland. It's tough to be a distance apart. You've mentioned your wife. Aside from what you do for a living, and we look forward to it this weekend. How is everybody? How is your extended family? How is everybody coping with this? Yeah, I mean, my family is back in Scotland and in the U.K. We're obviously hoping to be here. And part of this, but um, you know, they're at home and they're still excited to watch. Uh, they're still very proud of everything going on. And as soon as it's possible, as soon as everyone's back together after this, they'll come to the next the next big show. So, you know, they're a little disappointed, but proud and excited to watch WrestleMania. Uh, my wife and I are using this time, and hopefully, everyone in the world using this time to kind of and uh, kind of take a real look at yourself. The world moves so fast; nobody really they'll take some time to be present. And that's the biggest thing I've learned during this period is I'm not always present when I'm home. I've got so much going on with work, et cetera. And people do it with, they got their kids, they got their jobs, time passes and suddenly you're old and you weren't ever in the moment. I think people are kind of realizing that now. They're taking the time to phone people they've not spoken to in a while, family and friends and catch up. And, you know, the Venice Canal is cleaned up from the pollution. The world's getting a little bit healthier. So as much as negatives that are going on there's a lot of positives and hopefully after it's all over we remember the positives especially the positivity on social media right now i hate social media but now i finally looked at it and said this is what social media is for the negativity has gone down everyone's giving each other challenges while they're home and workouts while they're home and people with mental uh, health issues people are supporting them and everyone's rallying behind each other and hopefully when things you know get back to normal we can learn a lot of lessons from this because i know i am Okay, well then, okay, everybody's giving challenges. I'm going to give a challenge to you, all right? I'm not going into the ring, and I'm not doing a powerlifting competition with you, but I'm going to put your oh, mind God. If you tell me push-ups, I'm just going to pretend. <laughs> all right, here's my challenge to you. Uh, as a wrestling fan, hey, you got signed by WWE at 21. What are your three favorite wrestling themes? 
It's WrestleMania week. Who had the best wrestling entrances for theme music? Come on, give me three of them that come to mind. Okay. And you can't say yours. You can't give me yours. Yeah. Yeah. My version one, my version two, my version three. Uh, Okay. Uh, The 3MB one, yes. That one is not on the list. There'll be a reunion one day. When I cannot, like, when I've won all my world titles and I've got my Hall of Fame career and I'm at the end and I don't want to take any more falls because I'm a bit older, then I'll re- can I put CMB back together so Heath can take all the falls for me, Jim? Anyway, I can the teams. Uh, let's see, number one, I'll go three, two, one. Like, number three, okay. I think Stone Cold Steve Austin. Whenever yeah. the glass broke, if you know Stone Cold's theme, like everyone in the arena jumped to their feet, arms yes. on there, screaming at the top of their voice. Like Amazing. the start of an intro is so important. And like when his glass broke and it kind of kicked in, like the big guitar riff, everyone in the arena was on their feet screaming. And I remember as a kid, people that didn't watch wrestling were watching wrestling for Stone Cold Steve Austin. My uncle is just like kind of a beer drinking uh, guy with a family who doesn't really watch much television. He would call me every week and go, you see what Stone Cold did this week? <laughs> <laughs> like people loved Stone Cold and loved that music. Yeah. Uh, number two, The Undertaker. Oh. Uh, nobody quite has an eerie, you know, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. His entrance is a spectacle. He could do his entrance and that could be the end of the match. You didn't have to have a match after it. His entrance is such a spectacle. And I know because I felt the arena change in the ring when he walks out. And I, like, I've been in there and the goosebumps in the ring and forgetting I'm having a match with him, just watching his entrance like a fan. He gets in, stares at me, like, oh, God, i got to fight this guy. I forgot that. I was too busy watching the entrance. And it sucks you in. So, yeah, him coming out for the death march, looking like a giant zombie. That's number two. And number one, it's going to sound like I'm kissing arse because I'm speaking to Canada. But my favorite wrestler growing up, um, every time I hear... Natalia's music play to this day after 10 years however long she's had that music I keep thinking it's Bret Hart but Bret Hart's music because he was my favorite as a kid I love that guitar riff and yeah I was so obsessed I wanted to emulate Bret when I was younger and it's got such a cool beat to it so Bret the Hitman Hart gets the number one cause my nice yeah good good guitar riffs uh, good, on, good on Canadian those. call nice call pandering to the home crowd okay so do you have a favorite match at Wrestlemania history like is there a Brett Brett and Stone Cold maybe or is there one yeah I mean you still right from my mouth but that is genuinely my favorite match uh, I love Undertaker Shawn Michaels at Wrestlemania 25 I believe yep. it was like the first match they had is pretty much the perfect match the perfect story um, but my favorite of all time is definitely uh, Bret Hart, Stone Cold, dressing me at 13. And Bret went in as the good guy, Stone Cold the bad guy, but the fans are kind of rallying behind the anti-hero. Uh, the match was so physical and believable. Was not Like a non-wrestling fan could turn it on and not go, oh, this tippy-tappy stuff. They were physical. By the end, Stone Cold with crimson mask on, bleeding all over the place in the sharpshire, passed out. And when it started, Bret good, Stone Cold bad. They switched roles, Bret bad, Stone Cold good. It's such a unique story, such a good match. That is Drew McIntyre in conversation with James Sabalski and Perry Salkowski at Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver, our sister station. They spoke with him earlier today. Drew McIntyre fights for the WWE Championship this weekend, WrestleMania 36. 
Tim and Brock Lesnar, can he bring it home? We'll see. His first shot at the WWE title is this weekend, WrestleMania 36. It is Saturday and Sunday. They're splitting it over two days. Pinder and Steinberg continues. We are live on this Wednesday afternoon. Don't forget tonight, we've got game six of the 1991 Smythe Division semifinals between the Edmonton Oilers and Calgary Flames. It is game six of the series with the Flames trailing three games to two at Northlands Coliseum in Edmonton. It's the night Theron Fleury scores the overtime winner and slides across the ice afterwards. That's coming your way tonight at 7 o'clock. Hey, I want to thank our friends at the Better Business Bureau who have stuck with us during this tough time. It's the Better Business Bureau Hot Stove Lounge, which we have not been to in a number of weeks, and they are great, great partners of the station. The Better Business Bureau joined the BBB Trust Revolution to build trust and connection in your community search for or inquire about becoming a bbb accredited business today at bbb.org they've been a great partner on calgary flames hockey this year uh mary and the gang over at the calgary bureau uh, at the better business bureau thanks so much for sticking with us pinder and steinberg continues next on sportsnet 960 the fan pinder and steinberg continues on sportsnet 960 the fan pinder and steinberg five minutes till we get to five o'clock Lots coming at us. We'll revisit conversation with Erasmus Anderson from earlier today. And Theo Fleury. We've uh, been airing some classic games. Theo's the only constant thread thus far. There was a lot of turnover between, well, I guess not a ton between 91 and 89, but when you start getting into the mid-90s, he was all that was left of that championship piece in 89, the year he was a rookie. Uh, check in with the diminutive warrior, Theo Fleury, before 6 o'clock. As well, we got some official numbers today, Patty, for the province of Alberta, as our chief mm-hmm. health officer has announced. Uh, well, give us the details and, and why, uh, I guess, what's different about the data today versus Sunday and Monday. Well, uh, 117 new cases today in Calgary, uh, rather in Alberta, um, which is the highest number that we've seen to date in one day however much like some of the lower totals on saturday sunday monday um you're kind of like okay well what about compared to testing um the the high total is a little misleading too they had a big time backlog of tests that they had to get through so while some of the numbers seemed abnormally low over the weekend this one seems abnormally high what what it really suggests is that uh the numbers have stayed fairly steady in the kind of 60 to 80 range uh even though today's over 117 we had a day on the weekend that was under 30 and another day that was just over 40 so when you take all that into account where they had a backlog and couldn't do some of the testing and then you see today 117 that kind of starts to even things out a little bit i think what the good news here is more than anything else and and again i I stress that go to 660 news they've got the experts on there they've got the people who actually know what they're talking about so this is just based on the extremely limited knowledge that i have and uh so always have that with a grain of salt but from the layman uh and i am very much a layman here um but in in trying Trying to relate it to my fellow Calgarian, everything that I've been led to believe is that the good news is that we haven't seen those massive exponential jumps in terms of cases and in terms of deaths. There were a couple more deaths today, uh, bringing the total up to 11 in the province, which is heartbreaking news. And uh, as we all know, there are going to be more, both in terms of confirmed cases and in terms of um, casualties. 
and deaths in this, but we still haven't seen that massive exponential jump. Our Premier Jason Kenney, um, with with some of a, somewhat of a, a grim outlook, saying that it's still going to get worse in Alberta before it gets better, um, but it doesn't seem like it's going to get unmanageably worse at least for now and that's why it is so important for us to continually socially distance to continue to do all of the things that we've been doing to keep doing those things and not change our habits that we have formed here in the last number of weeks so it is uh, a higher number than we're used to but there is a little bit of context that needs to go into that uh, a couple of the programming notes for you before we uh, throw to the sports drive at five and come back with Rasmus Anderson. Uh, we'll be playing the April 14th, 1991 Theo Fleury slide game. If that celebration, mm. uh, if you could describe a celebration to tell a story, I mean, that one, you know exactly what series, what game, how it went. Uh, hence the conversation with Theo today. That goes tonight at seven o'clock and that'll be followed by Ron McLean in conversation I'm going to start to hear more of these as uh, he's been sitting down with some of the best guests uh, in Canadian sports, period, stop, to chat about, uh, well, all things, as Ron McLean does. That'll follow tonight's hockey game on Sportsnet 960, the fan as well. Looking forward to that. Absolutely. And I uh, believe Wayne Gretzky might be the featured guests, uh, guest on In Conversation with Ron McLean. So immediately following Flames Oilers, 10 o'clock tonight, In Conversation with Ron McLean. Looking forward to now, hearing that. Now, is that Keith Gretzky's brother? I'm just trying to connect the dots here. I know Self-made Keith, man, very, Keith very, Gretzky. That's right. Very successful uh, Director of amateur scouting, AGM, very strong you, uh, candidate to be the GM in Edmonton. That's you hold grudges, eh? <laughs> you don't. You do you not have a short memory. Running out of material. I, I don't know which one <laughs> it could it be is. either or. We're day twenty-one of the sports apocalypse. I need to get a Keith Gretzky shot in when I can. Okay, we'll come back. We'll focus back up on the Flames. Rasmus Anderson having another great year on the Calgary Flames blue line. We'll see what's uh, in store for him. He's eyeballing some travel to Europe. He'll explain when we come back. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg. Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. And welcome to the Sports Drive at 5. A little bit later on this hour, the one and only Theron Fleury. We uh, decided today would be a great time to speak with Theo, because tonight, 7 o'clock, we're going to replay that epic overtime game-winning goal that he scored. We're playing the whole game, a 2-1 win for the Flames in overtime over the Edmonton Oilers from April 14th of 1991. I'm sorry if I spoiled it for you, but uh, that is our NHL Rewind game tonight on Sportsnet 960. The fan, Mr. Pinder, Theron Fleury coming your way a little bit later on this hour, but today we had a chance to chat with a current member of the Calgary Flames. Yeah, it was great to catch up with a man who's contemplating a trip home here amid these uh, turbulent and uncertain times. We're happy to be joined earlier today by Flames defenseman Rasmus Anderson. Where are you holed up? Where are you self-isolating? I'm still in Calgary. Um, We might fly uh, home next week. So, uh, yeah, for now, I'm still here. Okay, so, and that's... That's got to be strange because, I mean, you're, you're holed up and family's back in, in Malmo. So it, it's been a, uh, it, I would imagine it's been a pretty boring stretch for you. Yeah, it has been. Um, yeah, we're, uh, me and my girlfriend just basically sitting at home and, uh, you know, it's it, it's not that much stuff to do around here, especially when uh, the whole country is in quarantine, like, 
you try to you try to move around as much as you can, but um, honestly, it's um, you don't really do a whole lot. So what? Before we get into like the, what are you watching on TV and and what have you done to keep busy? What about like here you are? You're a pro athlete. You've got to you know you you might be coming back. You might be playing again. You don't know what what is Rasmus Anderson doing to stay in shape and 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 to keep the 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 fitness level up as high as you possibly can? Like what are you doing from a workout standpoint? Uh, shape. We have we have a bike here at home, so uh, we usually do uh, workouts together and um, try to eat eat as healthy as possible. And um, yeah, you know, uh, just uh, to be ready when the season starts again. Honestly, it's uh, it's it, it's hard. I'm not gonna lie because you're kind of stuck in the apartment, so it's. Um, it's it's not that easy, but uh, you know you, you try to stay healthy and uh, you try to ride the bike as much as possible. Staying in touch with the rest of the guys, like you, pretty pretty con- constant contact with the the rest of the team. Yeah, I mean uh, you, you try to you try to talk to uh, the guys, uh, talk to the suites obviously quite a bit. I've talked to uh, I've talked to the, the older guys here and there too. So um, and me and Manji. Uh, me and Manji usually talks every day, so um, yeah, you know, I you, you stay in touch and uh, you try to see how other how your teammates are holding up and um, how everyone is doing and what they're doing. But honestly, it's like it's kind of the same answer everywhere. Gio said he did a uh, he did a he did a kind of thing with the NHL last week where he was on a video chat with a couple of other guys from other teams and he said uh lucic and ronaldo are like the the two instigators on your group chat are those the two guys that are most constant on on the group chats going on right now yeah every time every time something happens it's usually uh the two of them broach is in there quite a bit too so uh it's usually the two or three of them uh who usually get to go on and um it's been like that all year, though, so it's no surprise there. <laughs> that's that's it's just the same during quarantine. So is it who's who's quiet on the group chat? Who do you usually not hear from? Um, good question. I think uh, when like everyone gets going, I think it, we don't really have a quiet guy. It's uh, it might be um. um I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. Um, I usually don't say too much in there. I can I can get in there here and there, but not not that often as the other guys usually. But um, yeah, we have a few guys who doesn't really are that fired up in there or something like that. So uh, there's a <laughs> few guys, and uh, and there's a few guys who loves the group shot. So it goes both ways. He's Rasmus Anderson, Calgary Flames defenseman, joining us here this afternoon on Pinder and Steinberg. Rasmus, what's your contact been like with your family, and uh, have you been following the situation in Sweden closely? What can you tell us about what's happening there? Yeah, obviously, I, I talk to my mom and my dad quite a bit, and uh, the situation there, it's, it, it's getting pretty bad, honestly, and that's why we've been kind of hesitating about staying here or going home as well, so... Uh, but I think uh, what it looks like right now, uh, we're going to head home uh, probably next week and um, yeah, take it from there and be careful. Um, 
it's it's pretty bad in Stockholm right now, actually. So um, yeah, you just gotta be careful. Uh, fortunately, we we live uh, we live not that close to Stockholm. So um, but yeah, and uh, honestly, it's pretty it's it, it's pretty quiet in Malmo right now. Uh, all my friends are home. My brother is home, and um, yeah, obviously they've they've closed down all the restaurants, bars, and. Uh, the social gathering, uh, they've limited to 50 people only and um, stuff like that too. So, uh, but I think it all comes down to uh, honestly just how careful you are and uh, not to do anything you shouldn't do really right now. Yeah, <clears throat> no question. When this, uh, you guys were getting set to play the Islanders, I believe the day that uh, morning skate was canceled and officially the NHL pressed pause on the season. At that point, did you ever imagine yourself into April still hold up without a, an end in sight? Or was this kind of maybe something you were expecting? What was your initial reaction when the season was paused? No, I didn't. I, uh, I, I think we were at Bax house the day before, or maybe two days before. And we kind of talked about it a little bit, but, um, we, yeah, we weren't expecting it, and obviously we weren't expecting all the major leagues to shut down as this right now or press pause. It definitely came as a shock, but um, health obviously uh, goes before anything else right now. And um, with the with the amount of people who's at every major sporting event, I think it's it's obviously a good decision because it's it's uh, it's a virus and. Um, but yeah, back to your question. It's um, yeah, I did not expect uh, to be flying home next week. Yeah, crazy. This has been really weird for us. Uh, give us your go-to uh, time-killing move. Is it reading a book? Is it playing cards with your girlfriend? Is it streaming movies or TV shows? Help us out here with a pointer or two. Uh, honestly, it's it's a lot of video games. Uh, everything from FIFA to Fortnite to yeah. And then we play, uh, me and my girlfriend play chess sometimes too. So, um, yeah, we do a little bit of everything here, but uh, killing time mostly, it's the video games. Seems like everyone's talking about Tiger King. Have you have you screened that one yet or not? I've seen it. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I so that doesn't remind you? That, that show is crazy. Does it remind you of Malmo at all, Oklahoma? No, not at all. I don't think there's uh, there's not a lot of tigers in Malmo. How does that hair remind you of Ronaldo and Lucic at all with the, the blonde on the top and the dark on the sides? Or do you think maybe that's uh, more 80s style hair? Reminds me a little bit of Rhino for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to go back a little back in time with you a bit. Uh, you were growing up, your dad played a bit in the NHL and we've talked at length, uh, about his history playing in a lot of different countries, coaching in a lot of different countries. So you've been exposed to the sport and watched it a lot growing up around it in locker rooms. Who did you look up to? Did you have an idol or a favorite player that you wanted to emulate? Ooh, um, obviously when he played in Switzerland, we were so young um, I think we moved back home when I was five, so I was a little too young to like realize that he actually like, you know, was a pretty good player, and he played with some good players there. But um, 
honestly, like you, you always look up to your dad when when he has played, and um, but someone he's played with, um, he when he was a general manager, um, Sergey Fedorov's brother came to Malmo and played a few games, and he was really good, and he was really good for that league, and uh, he was an entertainer, like he could have. He could have he could go out there and like score two goals and have two assists. Then the next game he took a took a five minute major first shift of the game. So like he was he was one of those players. He was only there for eight or ten games, I think. But um, he was um, he was really really good and and um, he was he was a lot of fun to look at and watch uh, when uh, when I was younger. But then obviously growing up. Um, when you read the newspapers and stuff in Sweden, and um, my first time visiting Canada was obviously when I um, when I moved to Barrie. I'd never been in North America before that. So when you read the newspapers in Sweden, it's you usually read, read about the Swedes, right? So you always have your Lidstroms, Carlson, the Sedins, and all those players. And um, but yeah, obviously. Uh, the the hockey memory I uh, like can still look back to today is the Olympics 2006 when um, when Lidstrom scored the game winner with uh, Forsberg and Sundin uh, had apples on it. Yeah, that's uh, wow. That would have been quite a quite a time to be a fan of Swedish hockey. Never mind involved in it. What was going to Barry like? Did you have any? Uh, people you knew that had gone prior, were there Swedes that had gone through Barry? How tough of a call was that to go to North America versus stay in Sweden? Well, um, my agent is Claude Lemieux. Uh, like my, my I guess, agent over here is Claude Lemieux. So his son, Brendan, played in the team. And, um, and he was in Sweden a few summers uh, prior to that. And, um, and so I knew Brendan a little bit, but um, I didn't really get to play a whole lot my uh, second year playing pro. And I came into my draft year, and I, I honestly, you know, like in that age, you just want to get picked as high as possible, and you want to, you want to play as much as possible. So um, I talked to my Swedish agent, and we uh, we kind of agreed that we should give uh, the OHL a try, and. Um, and you know, we we talked to Barry and a few other teams, but um, we knew it would be a great opportunity because Axlai um, was going to get picked first overall, and he wasn't coming back. So they were kind of looking for a right-handed defenseman and um, and all that kind of stuff. And then obviously you were you were pretty nervous when that draft started, the import draft uh, to get picked from a team you really didn't want to go to and. Uh, and so there's little nerves about that stuff. And then, um, obviously, my dad did not want me to uh, go over to Canada, but I kind of told him that, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it was my career, and uh, I think it's the best move. And he still didn't really buy it. And um, <laughs> so that's probably the first time we really, like, had an argument about hockey. And uh, and it, it, it ended up being the right decision. And... Um, I'm really happy with my time with Barry. I had great billets. Uh, a lot of good friends I still talk to. Obviously, Manji's one of them. And uh, it's great. I mean, Manji still plays together six years later. And 
you know, there's a few other players we still have contact with. And, um, like, our first year, we had a really good team. It's, uh, our, our first power play unit was me, Kevin LeBanc, Manji, uh, Brendan Lemieux, and Glenn DC. And we had Blackwood in that. So, I mean, we had, huh. a, pretty good, we had a pretty good team. So, and then we had Justin Scott. He signed in Columbus after a playoff run there. And um, so we had, a, we had a pretty good team. And uh, a lot of players who still playing in uh, the NHL or in American League. Joined by Rasmus Anderson, uh, defenseman for the Calgary Flames here on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Rasmus, refresh my in, uh, my memory. Did you did you go to one or two of the Young Stars tournaments in Penticton? Uh, three, maybe. You went to three, so you were definitely you were definitely at the one uh, Kachuk's only one then, and the yeah, that was, that was the, my second year. That was your second year because I it's, it's yeah. funny you bring up Brendan Lemieux and he was the guy that that you knew a little bit and and was a teammate one of the guys you knew when you first jumped over to North America and I remember vividly being in Penticton and the first eyes on viewing in person I'd ever seen of Matthew Kachuk the first thing he does is go right after Brendan Lemieux and those guys had some some heat from their OHL days did you know that uh, at the time that Kachuk and Lemieux hated each other that much. Uh, honestly, I didn't, but we kind of like, because we know how Lemieux is and he, he wants to get under your skin. And I remember I only played against Chucky once in OHL and Jesus Christ, was he chirping and chirping and chirping. I think I was like, I, I chirped quite a bit and this guy was like at a whole other level. So we kind of told him, we were like, don't go after Lemieux. Like like he's just gonna do something stupid on you he's gonna dive or something like that and first shift he goes after him i go all right well that didn't work out <laughs> and then yeah it's uh well then i kind of realized that chucky was that kind of player who uh who really wants to get under people's skin and um but it, it's kind of like you kind of admire a player like that like when you have him on your team and you hate playing against him and that's the kind of player he is and and he kept this he kept his cool in that tournament and and he was a really good player from ever since that first game in Penticton. How like what about now? Where's your trash talk game compared to his? <laughs> well, me and me and Chuck you can kind of chirp each other about it here and there. What's uh, the best or the worst and uh if I say bad chirp, he's the first one to let me know that it's a bad chirp. And uh, <laughs> if he says something, I'll let him know too. So uh, no, we we both we both kind of obviously he's, he's he likes a little bit more than me probably, and that's kind of the way he plays, and and that's why he's so good too. And I mean, uh, he's so good at getting under people's skin, and at the same time keeping his cool. So. Um, yeah, he uh, he's uh, he's really good at that, and uh, I think you can kind of see on TV that like he's good at it, but I don't think people realize that he's like actually really good at it. Well, it's it's funny because I'll take you back to 
Uh, January 11th, I believe, was the date, was that, that first crazy game between you and the Oilers. That was the, the Cassian and, and Kachuk night, and Kachuk had the great quote about staying off the tracks, and that blew up on social media. And then you joined me on the post-game show live and, and had some uh, some pretty candid comments as well about Cassian and, and Dreisaitl. And my, the guy who was holding the microphone down there came back in and said, Anderson was just smiling the entire time as he was saying that stuff. So did you did you have a pretty good idea that that stuff would blow up on social media after you said it? Honestly, that was one of those moments where you like you were so happy about the win, but at the same time you were you were kind of like angry about the way like Cassian jumped Chucky, like he pulled him up from the ice and kept punching him. So like. I kind of let my emotion get out over me a little bit there, and next time you should probably not say that kind of stuff like that. But I think the emotions got the better of me in that situation. But you know, it's we're rivals, and they don't like us, and we don't like them. So, and the Battle of Alberta is it's a great game, and uh, it, it should be fun for the fans to uh, to watch it. And uh, I think. Both teams did a really good job this year of making it fun for the fans. I mean, that crazy game at home with the goalie fight and mm-hmm. all the trash talk and Gatchin uh, and Chucky and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, for me personally, I probably let my emotions get the better of me after the game there. But you were kind of, as I said, you were kind of pissed off in the way Gatchin pulled Chucky up from the ice. Yeah, well, and and I know from our standpoint, we are we were fired up for that final game that was supposed to take place in a couple days' time from now. And you know, if if this does come back, and uh, we're talking about more hockey this season, pretty good chance the two teams could face one another in the playoffs. And so, you know, from the outside, we're pretty fired up for that. So that's uh, something we're all crossing our fingers for just two more for you Ras. before you let you go you've mentioned Andrew Mangiapane a couple of times he's actually going to join us on Friday um, but you played with him in Barrie you played with him in Stockton and now you're playing with him in Calgary he is having a great year and was really starting to come into his own before the pause here just tell us a little bit more about Andrew Mangiapane and I guess how surprised or not surprised you are that he's really starting to find it in the NHL I can tell you this. I am not surprised. First of all, he um, he's always had it, and I remember his first few games. Uh, you know, like I I keep reminding him of just like you know, like don't don't get nervous. Like just play your own game and go out and like being be as annoying as you always are, like on the ice, because he's one of those players. Like sure, he scores goals and. He makes really nice passes, and but his work ethic is like really, really hard, and he never gives up on a puck. And he's always in someone's face, like you know, like if there's a scrum, he, he, he's in there, and and his size has never really mattered for him. It, it, it's kind of an advantage for him, and um, and I remember people always thought that he was this super, super, super skilled guy. Like he got compared to Johnny a few times, and you know, because of their size. But I was like, man, it's like, you, you guys don't play the same way. Like, 
he's an annoying kind of guy who never gives up on a puck, wins a lot of pucks, and if he gets an opportunity, he'll score it. And um, so after, I guess, after his first 20 games, like when he like started realized that he could actually like, you know, when he started to realize that he can play in the league, I think um, I think now everybody sees how good he is and uh, how good of a player he is. And uh, he's always been like that. Even in Barry, like he, he, he scored so many goals and points because he just wouldn't give up on the puck and got the puck back and made a nice play or, you know, someone made a nice play and he scored. And uh, that's, that's how he's been. And that's how it was in Stockton. And that's how Barry and Calgary too. So, yeah, once he realized that he um, he has like I guess nothing to fear or nothing to lose, and that's when he uh, that that that's uh, how other people see how good he is too. And uh, I've always seen it, but uh, yeah, it's it's really great for him, and um, I'm really really happy for him. Obviously, we're we're really good friends on and off the ice, and um, play with each other for such a long time. We're uh, we're gonna talk to him on Friday. We'll see if he says his nice things about you uh, when he joins us in Probably a couple not. Of days. <laughs> but we we won't set him up. We won't we won't set him up for failure. I promise. Uh, just before we let you go, let me just a, a little bit for those who don't know uh, about Rasmus Anderson. Let me see if I've got this correct. So fluent in English. Obviously, your first language is Swedish. Used to be fluent in Italian, but not anymore. And you can also speak Danish and German. Is that? Am I right on all those? No, no. So obviously, I speak English, Swedish. I we lived in Italy for our. We lived in Lugano for four years, which is the Italian part of Switzerland. So when we grew up, we spoke yeah, fluent Italian. But as I said, we moved back home when we were like five or six, and haven't talked it since then and uh so we, we we've lost it along the way and and danish it's it's one of those things you it, it's super hard it's super hard to speak it but you can understand it if you're from the southern part of sweden which is like so like i can understand i can have a conversation with a with a danish guy and he would understand me and i would understand him okay but back back and lindy couldn't and Chile, they couldn't understand what they're saying. Right, because Malmo's basically a ferry ride away from Denmark, right? Yeah, I live. I literally live two minutes from the bridge. Right, and that's and and so that's how people in Malmo can understand Danish and vice versa. Interesting. That's. Uh, I just yeah, wanted to, then, to make. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and then it, I, I read German when I was in school, but I don't do not know any German. Okay, so I gave you a, a little bit more credit than, than you actually deserve, yeah. is what you're saying? I should have taken it. <laughs> too honest, Rasmus. Jeez. Yeah, too honest. honest. A... German person comes up to me. <laughs> you should have just said you can speak Russian and um, a yeah. little Czech as well, and you would have been, nobody would have known Mandarin, any better. But you know what? Sure. Still impressive that, you can, uh, that you've can that you got the mastery of two languages and can understand another. That's uh, pretty darn it, impressive. It, it, it for... kind of. It's kind of like Norwegian is like really similar to Swedish, so it's like it's just like a different like it's a different language, but it, it just sounds a little bit different. And you can easily have a conversation with a Norwegian guy, and vice versa with Danish. Like all my friends would say the same thing about about Denmark. Like we can understand what a Danish person says. Yeah. 
Well, good stuff, Ras. I appreciate you spending some time with us this afternoon. That was really cool. Uh, stay safe. Uh, hopefully you get back to Malmo uh, safely and soundly, and uh, we hope to see you back on the ice as soon as humanly possible. Thanks for doing this this afternoon. Thanks, Rasmus. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. There he is, number four for the Calgary Flames, Rasmus Anderson, having another great season on the back end, and we hope somehow, some way, Patty, that uh, there's a way that we can resume this thing, be it just the playoffs, condensed playoffs, a touch of the regular season. I think the whole thing's clearly off the table at this point. But, man, it does feel like uh, for all these teams involved, all the teams that made moves to the deadline, conditional draft picks out, players in, rentals, uh, we, we need we need to finish the story. We're at, there's like a chapter to go, and it's been pulled from us. This is no good at all. Yeah. Fingers crossed, and – it certainly gives you an idea. It's going to be a little while if, if Ras says that he's going to back to Malmo, Sweden next week. That uh, gives you an idea that uh, this thing ain't going to be resolved in a couple of days. Uh, Chris Johnston and, and Elliot Friedman have both been pretty upfront. Like, if this thing does come back, it's going to be in the late stages of the summer. Uh, so we're talking July, August, September uh, in terms of a best-case scenario at this point. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, we'll turn things around, come back. We've got some simulating to get to. Flames and Jets last night from the Olympic Saddle Dome or Scotiabank Saddle Dome, depending what console and uh, which game you are simulating on. Pat and I will come back with that and Theo Fleury before 6 o'clock as he walks us back into time to April 14th, 1991. It's all ahead on Pinder and Steinberg in the Sports Drive at 5, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. All right, 537. Like this bed, Patty, I like this bed. Welcome back. It is the Sports Drive at 5 or Pinder and Steinberg or maybe both. I don't really know anymore. doesn't seem to matter. Uh, flames and Jets last night. Uh, allegedly, we have been simulating the remainder of the Calgary Flames season that was not wiped out by the NHL's pause of play. Patty, NHL 2020, what's the console again, and what's our result from last night? Okay, PlayStation 4 is the console, and uh, I did not simulate this game. Last night, I played the game between Calgary oh! and Winnipeg. I'm not very good at NHL 2020. I'm still learning the ropes, oh, but last night, I was really good. 6-2 victory for Calgary at home to the uh, over the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Milan Lucic with a couple of goals. Uh, Come these on. were the pretty ones. Johnny Gaudreau had a pair, too. Uh, Connor Hellebuck really struggled. Gaudreau scored one from his regular spot. I was like, okay, let's give this a try. He did the Johnny Gaudreau uh, shot from the corner thing, and it worked. He beat Hellebuck uh, doing on. his shot from the corner. And then he also scored one, not even on a wraparound. He scored one actually from the corner off of uh, Hellebuck's pad and in. Hellebuck really struggled. Uh, he got pulled for Laurent Brassois on the third period. Uh, Rasmus Anderson goal and an assist in that game as well. So Calgary takes a 6-2 victory over the Winnipeg Jets last night. Since quarantine started, Flames have won 7 of 10. They're 7-3-0. The run they needed. So big win for the Flames over the Jets last night. Uh, on NHL 94 on Sega Genesis, it was a low-scoring affair. In fact, if you'd guessed, you would have thought the 2020 on PlayStation 4 would have come in 
as the low scoring between that and NHL 94, but a 2-1 win for the Flames. Bob Essenso was great. 16 saves on 18 shots, five-minute periods only, a little compressed game, Patty. And it was uh, Gary Roberts early, and it looked like the one nothing lead was going to be uh, all that lasted. But Temu Solani bangs in a loose puck in the slot, and next thing you know, it's 1-1 late. Theo Fleury gets your winner with a buck 14 remaining in the contest. And Mike Vernon makes a save with less than five seconds left as the Flames hang on. Winnipeg, the only team that's beaten the Flames since we started simulating the games on NHL 94. That was way back as the finale of the five-game homestand. They get the revenge tonight, and now just a couple games to go. Uh, Vegas, who is not in NHL 94, and the Oilers on Saturday night. Good stuff. Both uh, both simulated seasons are going pretty well here. Before we go to break, what are we going to do come playoff time? Because it's becoming pretty clear they will be making the playoffs. Uh, I don't know. I uh, you, you're going to have to come up with something. I've got nothing for you. I really. I wish I had something. What did you say? You've you've, you've shut me up. I have nothing. I'm going to do a battle of Alberta. So why don't you do a Flames and Canucks? Oh, I would love that, especially in 94 because the Oilers are no good at all, and the Canucks actually got some playmakers. Ronning, Courtnell, Bure, Lume, Lidster, Kirk McLean. Let's do it. Okay, done. That's the plan. Uh, but we got two more games to go, including tomorrow's showdown, Calgary and the Vegas Golden Knights. Can't wait. Should be fun. We'll come back. Theron Flurry, Theo, sliding across center ice back in 1991. We're playing that game tonight, so why not go back down memory lane with one of the greatest flames of all time? That's around the corner. Pinder and Steinberg in the Sports Drive at 5. Sports at 960, the fan. Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. Messier gives it away. Here's Fleury looking for his first goal of the series. Scores! And Theron Fleury and the Flames are in seventh heaven. They are indeed. That goes back to April 14th, 1991, Northlands Coliseum in Edmonton, Alberta, Game 6 of the Smythe Division semifinal between the Flames and the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Mark Messier puts a perfect pass on the tape of Theo Fleury and uh, scores, slides across the ice in one of the most iconic celebrations in Calgary Flames history. Welcome back to the program. Let's say hello to Theo Fleury on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Hello. Mr. Flurry, how are you? <laughs> how are you guys doing? We're hanging in. We're hanging in. Hopefully, you're. Uh, I you're can only imagine. <laughs> sports radio with news oh. with no sports. That's a that's a different world we're living in right now. Yeah, you might as well. You just might as well call yourselves talk radio. It's kind of what we've turned into. Basically, what's happened? Yeah. It's kind of accurate. Guy radio, boxers or briefs. That's what we're talking yeah. about on a Wednesday. There you go. Are you guys drinking while you're doing this or not? No, not we're trying yet. to stay professional for now. For now. We're only, we're only like two and a half weeks in, though, so who knows what, what it'll look like come June or something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, pretty crazy time to be alive, that's for sure. No doubt, no doubt, but uh, I'm glad you're doing well and you've got your health and we'll take you down a couple of trips down memory lane this afternoon. Tell us about, okay, t- 
Tell us about that goal specifically and what happened afterwards. Is uh, I don't know if anybody has um, tamed the ice quite like that following a goal at Northlands Coliseum. Uh, tell us about that moment. Tell us about that goal and, and tell us about what was going through your head immediately afterwards. <laughs> uh, well, the interesting part was, you know, I... I'd... You know, I had my best season in the NHL that year, 51 goals, I think 104 points, and I hadn't scored a goal in the first five games of the series. So, And, uh, you know, I was basically on the uh, Novocaine drip because I had a uh, second-degree MCL and I had a second-degree separated shoulder, so I was getting shot up with Novocaine, you know, before every game, and... Did, uh, I think it was in game one or game two, Craig Simpson slashed me in the back of the leg. And so I had a really, you know, I had a lot of injuries going on. So I hadn't, you know, really had an impact on the series up until that point. And, uh, you know, we were down three games to one in the series. We won game five, went back to Edmonton. And uh, it was a very well-played game. It was really tight. And, and uh, you know, obviously it went into overtime and, you know, and over time, anything can happen. And, uh, you know, I don't know how many times I've seen that uh, replay, but, uh, you know, quite a few. And, uh, <laughs> you know, what happened was I saw that Mess was carrying the puck up the boards, and I think it was Anderson was flying down uh, the left wing, and uh, I saw Messier pull up, and I knew he was trying to, to find Anderson going wide and I just stepped in in uh, in front of the pass and then you know all I had to do was beat Bukaboom to the net which was pretty easy because he was big and slow and so you know and then and then you know back in that day most goalies were butter or not butterfly guys they were stand-up guys so uh, you know my shot on breakaways was always uh, you know the five hole and you know, Pierre gave me enough route to put the puck between his legs and then it went in and, you know, the rest is kind of history from there. And, uh, you know, I, I always, I always, uh, enjoyed, uh, scoring goals, uh, cause it was part of my job. And, uh, um, you know, obviously that was probably one of the biggest goals I've ever scored in my whole entire career. And, uh, you know, it gave us a chance to to head back to Calgary for Game Seven, which unfortunately was uh, another one of those first round, you know, disappointments for you know for our organization. But uh, you know, at the time, it was uh, like I said, it was a huge goal, and uh, obviously, I hadn't done I, I've done I did absolutely nothing in the first five games of the series, so it was <laughs> nice to be able to contribute. So let me ask you this, because, you know, you you pretty good rookie season for you. You win a Stanley Cup in your rookie season, and you don't you, – you're not part of a, a team that wins a playoff series again until you join the Avalanche 10 years later in that, that big deadline day deal. At, at the time, like – Obviously, you, you know, like you want to stand like up in the first year. It kind of it's a pretty cool way. You probably think that you know you're going to get back there a couple of times. When did it when did it really sink in for you that holy cow? It is hard to go deep in the NHL postseason. 
Well, you know, to be honest with you, I, I think we probably should have won maybe one or two more Stanley Cups, uh, you know, early on uh, when I was in Calgary. But, uh, you know, there's a reason why it's the hardest trophy to win. And, uh, you know, obviously um, there has been numerous times when, you know, the President's Trophy squad uh, lost in the first round of the playoffs. And so... You know, everybody gets a clear slate. You get a new start. You get a fresh start. And, uh, you know, once the once the team that isn't favored in the series grabs momentum, you know, it's really difficult uh, to, you know, get that momentum back. And so, you know, a lot of times in those series uh, early on in, in my career, uh, you know, we allowed, you know, we allowed the underdog to grab that momentum and, you know, and then once you when you get to a game seven, you know anything can happen. And and unfortunately for us, uh, you know I think I think I played in five game sevens and four of them went to you know overtime, and only won one of those thing, one of those series is uh, you know the tough pill to swallow. And and you know when I look back on my career, it would have been nice to you know to get past one of those and see what you know, see what would have happened, you know, in, in 93, uh, LA beat us, went to the Stanley cup finals, 94 Vancouver beat us, went to the Stanley cup finals. So if we would have been able to score, mm-hmm. you know, in one of those overtimes, maybe it would have been us that was, you know, in the Stanley cup finals, as opposed to the team that beat us. So year one in the league, you get to hoist the Stanley cup. That's gotta be incredible. And you think, Oh yeah, well, we're going to do this a bunch but man, the the end of your Flames tenure, you saw some of the dark years of the franchise where people didn't even know if this market would be able to keep an NHL club as <clears throat> salaries were skyrocketing. Maybe tell us about the last couple of years and were you ready to move along in that 88, excuse me, the 98-99 season when you got uh, sent over to the Avs? <laughs> well, um, you know, Calgary, uh, you know, Calgary's fan base was you know, always incredible, even, you know, through the good and the bad. And, uh, you know, towards the end of my stay in Calgary, like there was a lot of really great building blocks that, you know, had come on board. You know, we had guys like Aginla and Derek Morris and Todd Simpson and <clears throat> Joel Bouchard, you know, so they were, you know, they were rebuilding, um, you know, and and it, and eventually it, it got them to what was it 2004 when they made the Stanley Cup Finals and Jerome was you know was the guy and uh, you know it would have been kind of nice to stay around you know to to see that second run and be a part of that second run but uh, you know obviously um, you know salaries were escalating at the time and uh, you know I'd put in I'd put in my whatever it was, 11 years, uh, with the organization. And, you know, I had an opportunity to leave and, uh, you know, I remember sitting down with Harley Hodgkiss and, you know, trying to hammer out a contract. And, uh, you know, I just felt that, that it was my one opportunity, uh, you know, at the Brinks truck and, uh, um, and we couldn't, we couldn't make a deal. And, and then it was shortly after that I went to Colorado and, uh, you know, I always thank Coatsy every time I see him because it was, 
you know, he could have traded me anywhere, but he traded me to a team that had a chance and an opportunity to win. And, uh, you know, we, when we came up one game short of going to the Stanley cup finals, uh, in Colorado, but, uh, you know, my time here in Calgary, uh, is filled with incredible memories and, uh, and, uh, you know, that's why I chose to, you know, at the, at the end of my career was to move back to Calgary because, uh, you know, it was such a, a great place to be and, uh, you know, put down some roots and my kids, uh, uh, have enjoyed Calgary very much. And, uh, you know, we, we've all enjoyed Calgary very much and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll continue to, to live and, and be here and, uh, be part of the community. Last one for me, Theo. I, it's one of the things that Pat and I rail on all the time. Have you ever gotten a good explanation why you're not in the Hockey Hall of Fame? Because we just look at the resume and what you managed to accomplish despite being told you were too small, you wouldn't make it, never mind all the off-the-ice challenges that you, you fought your way through and had to deal with. Uh, have you ever heard a good explanation why you're not, uh, your, your, your face isn't up in the Hall of Fame? I have no idea, you know. I, and I, I hate being asked this question because it's not up to me anymore. You know, I always say the work's been done and, uh, you know, it's up to, you know, the people who vote, uh, the hockey hall of fame. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what more I can say, you know, uh, obviously, um, I, I believe it's the greatest honor you can receive as a hockey player. And, uh, you know, I did an interview with, uh, uh, your competition the other day uh, in Ottawa and you know I didn't realize this but you know the four greatest teams in the 90s which were the 91 Canada Cup the 96 World Cup of Hockey 98 uh, Olympics and the 2002 Olympics I played on all four of those teams and so the 23 greatest players in the game were selected for those teams and for a decade, uh, you know, I was selected every time to be a part of Canada's greatest team entered in a best on best tournament. So to me, that, that explains it all right there that, uh, you know, if I wasn't considered to be an elite, uh, NHL player, then there's no way shape and hell that I would have been on any of those teams at any of those times. There's a portion of our conversation with Flames legend Theron Fleury joined us earlier today on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup or delivery available calling 403-248-3344. Once again, that's 403-248-3344. And uh, Theo will be very much featured on tonight's edition of NHL Rewind. Join us at 7 o'clock tonight for the Flames and the Edmonton Oilers game six of their 1991 Smythe Division semifinal showdown, 7 o'clock, that game tonight here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hey, want to say a special thanks to the gang, uh, Brian and everybody at Green Drop for sticking with us during these tough times. Uh, Green Drop is uh, staying with us, still advertising with us, and, and you know, knowing how things are right now, just wanted to pass along how important that is uh, to us and how much we thank you. Does your lawn have your neighbors wondering if you've moved? Time to visit greendrop.com for a beautiful 
beautiful weed-free lawn at Green Drop. It's always beautiful outside. Thank you to all our guests today. Uh, they're all up online right now at sportsnet.ca slash 960 for Pinder and our outstanding producer, Logan Gordon. My name is Pat Steinberg. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.